This week's episode of I Was a Teenage Film Snob is not brought to you by gas cans, bottled water, or tinned food. If you would like to support the show, head on over to tpublic.com and get your very own I Was a Teenage Film Snob t-shirt, hoodie, or sticker right now. If you're a first-time customer, you get 20% off your first order. Enjoy the show. Welcome to I Was a Teenage Film Snob. I'm James Chalmers, your friendly neighborhood film snob. And guys, I've got good news and bad news. Uh, The bad news is the world has ended. The apocalypse is here. Everything's on fire. People are drowning and being burnt alive. But the good thing is there's some great movies to talk about. And uh, because we're starting a new topic and we're talking about the apocalypse, I want to bring in an expert, someone who's going to open the topic strong with a really good list um, and someone who's... You know, who's these movies are their bread and butter. I'm really fumbling this <laughs> intro, but that's okay. Um, previously, she has been in some of the longest episodes we've ever done. I think she's mentioned Jurassic Park every time she's been on here, but she promises me it's not going to happen uh, again today, but I don't quite believe her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she uh, is known as my other wife. Um, she did a very lovely rant at the end of episode 50, and uh, she's long overdue. Uh, so welcome back uh, for the first time in a few months, uh, Maddie Schultz. Hello, everyone. How are you, my man? I am doing good. I'm much more peppy than last time. <laughs> well, we were just talking before because, well, you had like since you last were on, you've had a baby. <laughs> I have. I have a three-month-old child. So, yeah. But I'm absolutely peppy today, using the energy for good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I said to you like when you first jumped online, I was like, oh, you've um, you dressed up like you, you and like not in a. Um, <laughs> Not like not not criticizing it, because like, I know like some people are like, oh, mum finally dressed up. Like not at all. Like I've got a toddler, you've got a toddler and a new, and a newborn, so I know, I know what it's like. But I was like, oh, did you like get dressed up to go out? And you're like, well, I put on clothes, James. <laughs> and I was like, yes. oh. The last time we spoke was I think yesterday, and I was in my dressing gown, and today I'm in real clothes. So you're this welcome. Is actually, <laughs> <laughs> this is actually the third day in a row I've spoken to you, which is pretty unusual for us. Uh, but uh, Wednesday, nope, Thursday. Uh, Zoe was in high, it was demanding to see you and, and your, your children. So we had a little chat. And then yesterday, my wife had a chat with you. And then today, we were the, and like, I'm, I'm seeing you a lot over the next couple of weeks. So we've actually got a lot planned. It's good. It's good. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to have you back. I've been messaging you constantly about this because I knew we were going to do the apocalypse, I think, at the end of last year. And I was like, we got to get Maddie on first. Like, Maddie oh, loves yeah. disaster films. I love them. And, like, viewers, it, viewers, listeners, listeners, not viewers, everyone who's listening, like, as soon as he said, oh, I'm thinking of doing Apocalypse, I, if I could have reached through my phone to, like, put my hands around James's neck, I would have. And I was like, you are getting me on. This is my jam. Like, yeah. I, I said, I was like, I bags a spot. You are not doing this without me. So and I'm I actually very like... privileged to have <laughs> I actually scheduled other episodes to push the apocalypse back because I was like, we need to have Maddie on first. Yeah. Uh, like I extended episode 15 to two parts. Like now I can tell people episode 50 <laughs> is two parts so we could get Maddie on. Like Tyler <laughs> appeared in episode 51 so we could get Maddie on for the apocalypse. So Yeah. I was, um, it was not going to let this go. I didn't need to be the first, but fuck me, I need to be in it. No, you had to be the first. Like if you yeah. hadn't have been on, if you couldn't have done it today, 
I had my parents who still haven't done their 80s and 90s lists. I had them plan. And worst case scenario, I had Tina on standby. Like, hey, let's just talk about something. Oh, like, I was like, we will push, <laughs> we will push out the apocalypse as much as we can. Thank um, you very much. <laughs> because I don't know when it started, and it might have been before the podcast. But you mentioned, I think the first time you mentioned like a a disaster film to me, it was Crawl. Yes. Um, mm. Uh, the K.S. Godelario crocodile movie, um, mm. hurricane crocodile movie, which is a lot of fun. Um, but I think you mentioned it. You would have either mentioned that or it was like Placid. And like I know they're not really disaster films, but like they're almost in the same vein because like giant monsters like killing people. I think we were, yeah, I think we were talking about how I love like 90s films and how mm. I really wanted to revisit Lake Placid. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go to the movies and I'm going to see Crawl in the cinema because it's Crocs. So maybe then I'll do like a double feature of just crocodile movies and I love this stuff. And you were like, what do you love? I'm like, I love when the world's like, fucked. I love when it's ending. <laughs> you were like, um, let's, let's, you were like a therapist. You're like, let's, let's explore this. <laughs> I feel like you're around my child and my wife a lot. Let's just make sure that you're not. <laughs> no, not at, not at all. <laughs> Zoe's first film technically was uh, Logan. So she doesn't remember it because she was very, very, she was very, very new to the world. But the first movie I put on with her in my arms was Logan. So um, she was just like Dexter. She was born in blood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's very rare to make a television reference, but we'll do that today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. And I think the other one was because right during Tina's pregnancy, we were we had Tubi. I don't know if you know about Tubi. It's a streaming service. It's free. Oh um, yeah. Yep. And it used to be kind of laughed off as like the dumb service because they would just get like anything that was kind of outside of its copyright and, and things like that mm. but like now it's got pretty huge movies on it but at the time we were just like let's watch some awful movies let's watch some and like when i say awful i don't mean they're poorly made they're just you know they're b movies they're c movies it might even be e movies like they're very yeah. like low budget like my one of my personal favorites was the sand i don't know if you've heard about the sand but no. basically it's a bunch of kids get drunk at the beach um at night and the next morning they wake up and the sand has like worms or something in it and just eats them alive. So they've got to stay off the sand, but they can't get oh. to their car. Oh. Um, that sounds like um, the ruins. I haven't, seen the, I haven't seen the ruins, but I heard someone talking good. about it recently. Is it the one about the plants? Yeah. Yeah, I heard, I think it was Brett Goldstein. Um, yeah. He has a podcast called Movies to be Buried with. Um, That's films, a good one. Films to be Buried. Yeah, I've it heard it's quite good. It was directed by Ben Stiller. What? It was directed by Ben Stiller. I'm pretty kidding sure. kidding me? I look this up right now. That doesn't sound right, but I, I trust it you. But it doesn't sound right. Sound... But I'm, I, why did that come out of my brain? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Zoolander directed this like horror film about plants that like get under your skin and slowly kill you. He didn't. Um, did he produce it? Maybe. Let me. Uh, this this is good for the features. podcast, right? Me looking these things up. <laughs> He's in the special features. Hundred percent. Yeah, he was an executive producer. Okay, there you go. He produced. There it. you go. But, yeah. Um. So good, we watched good, The Sand. Honestly. That was one film that we watched. Another film that we watched was, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it was a Scorpion film, which wasn't very good at all um, because it wasn't even bad entertaining. Um, but the one I remember most, and I think this might have been part of what kicked off the disaster film conversation, was Tina and I watched Titanic 2, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is very low budget and everything's shot in like one room so like the dance hall of the new titanic it looks like a school cafeteria oh. um, with four people in it uh and then we started watching like the low budget superhero ripoffs so like sinister squad um oh my God. and there was oh what was the other one 
there's one and it's the Avengers, uh, Avengers Grimm, I think it's called. And it's like all the fairy tale princesses form a super team to fight Rumpelstiltskin. Uh, <laughs> and the problem with them is <laughs> the idea is actually kind of genius. It's just they don't have the budget or the script to like to pull it off. Yeah, uh, they don't have the people to carry it. So the execution's just a bit flat. Uh, but like, def- like the idea is really fun. Um, but yeah, so we were doing that all through Tina's pregnancy. But I think Titanic Two is what launched the conversation. That and Crawl, I think, launched yep. the conversation about disaster films. What I'm trying to say, this is a long way of saying you like movies where the world ends. I do. So like, I did text. I did text you asking, are we being very strict on apocalypse, or are we doing apocalypse where it's happening, post-apocalypse where it's after, doomsday like disaster and yes i'm very happy that we're very loose and very broad because that's very inclusive and very I loose have 63 titles <laughs> i was gonna say you are the woman who brought uh it was i want to say a vision board and you had yeah. like butcher's paper um <laughs> you are the most prepared guest who's ever been on the show um yep. i like but, doing uh, my homework <laughs> yeah so for those listening it's not exclusively like comets hitting the earth and they're all, you know, like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. It's very, it's, I say it's very early. It's not that early, but we don't normally record this early in the morning. So my conversation is like, <laughs> rah, rah, rah. Uh, pretty much any time that mankind is threatened. So it is quite loose and it does cover a lot of things, um, but we just wanted to have fun with it. Um, it does mean mm. the lists may get controversial. I'm actually going to do my list today as well. I normally wait a couple of episodes before I bring my list in. I think with the very first one, I was the last person to do the list, but this time, I'm kicking down the door with you. I'm going to do my apocalypse films as well. Yes. We'll see. Um, yeah, you got to use your elbows in the apocalypse. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. <laughs> I was going to say that, Um, yeah, I feel like all our films can span across, yeah, something happening, happening to the planet, something happening to the solar system, something happening to society, like some sort of big shift or big change that's threatening the way things are now. And I feel like that's our broad, like, spectrum mm. it, yeah it's threatening either the, the planet or society either or and it absolutely if it's so or if, it, if it's happening it could, or if it's going to happen or if it has happened who cares absolutely and it can be uh it can be virus so it could be a zombie apocalypse um it could be aliens from outer space it could be the world cracking open technology, um, it could be, technology it could be natural disasters it's very very loose and like yeah like my list i would say honestly Maybe three of them people were like, well, those are apocalypse films, but the other ones are not. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd say 40% of my list people are going to disagree with. Um, but that's okay because it's my show, so shut up. Um, <laughs> Maddie Schultz, what is it about the apocalypse? What is it about disaster movies in the end of the world that you love so much? Well, this was really confronting for me to actually think about because I was trying to like honestly think about it, but I was really worried at the end I might come out that I'm a psychopath. Um, like me with Bicentennial not. Man and, and AI? Oh, well, sorry. Yeah, but I was yeah doing like a deep dive and I like went through all the films that I really, really love to see if there was a common thread. And there isn't quite a common thread through them all except for the fact of like sort of two things. I'm trying to figure out how to explain it without sounding like a ridiculous like lecturing teacher. But I really think I like the idea that after whatever's happened, where in a, there's a state where everything's quiet and simpler. And I mm. think part of my, you know, role as a, a mother and a teacher and stuck in, you know, domesticity and the hustle and bustle of life, I think there's like 
a small little percentage of me that really craves for everyone to just shut up and go away and and there to be quiet and there to be just no one to bump into I think I secretly like a lot of people crave that and so when you just I want the world to hit reset film, and just start again start fresh well but I don't really care about like where it goes or how it starts I think it's that time period of it at the beginning again where I know it's going to be quiet you're not going to be worrying about putting the washing on or driving to daycare it's the it's the immediacy of like you'll only be worried about something immediate like I need to survive I need food I need shelter like you deal with those problems right then and there as they're coming at you and like I really enjoy obviously same as what we've spoken about before with Interstellar and and The Martian I really like watching people problem solve Mm. in the moment sequentially you know going from the next problem to the next problem I love putting myself in those shoes I guess and living vicariously through them solving problems and so in disaster films they, they come at you hard and fast and you've got to solve it then and there or you die like mm. it forces people to be the best they can be in each and every weird situation it absolutely forces you to become your own hero you have to like you have to you have to rise or you die and I think as a teacher, I love the whole, like, do the very best you can. And in disaster films, you have to. And so mm. I love I love seeing the old, you know, the random deadbeat dad suddenly have to do better. Step up, yeah. Seeing, yeah, I love seeing the kids suddenly grow up and make really incredible choices. I like seeing the coward suddenly do the right thing and mm. have moments of bravery. Like, I love... Yeah, so it's like a combination. It's a combination of, yeah, I like the world being quiet and no one being around. And Yeah, I no, love, I agree. Yeah. And I'm, despite what people might think on, on this show, I'm very optimistic and very positive, but I can be quite pessimistic about mankind from time to time. I think we all, mm. like, we all get like that. I think, you know, everyone, I'm like, oh, I'm the same, like, I crave the quiet, I crave the solitude, I don't need to be around the hustle and bustle. But one thing I like in these films is, especially in a post-apocalyptic, you know, situation or where, like, everything's gone wrong but there's one chance to bring it back and you kind of see the contrast of, like, you know you know what? As bad as everything gets and as horrible as people are, there's still a glimmer of hope. And oh, it kind of absolutely. The, the yeah. idea of, like, putting things in perspective, I really appreciate that because we don't always get, get that perspective in real life. Like, in real life, you know, mm-hmm. we're so close to it. We're just like, burn it all to the ground. <laughs> like, shut up and leave me alone. But thanks, <laughs> thankfully, movies remind us, like, oh, well, you know, there are some things to live for and there are some, yeah. some reasons to hold on to this, this planet of ours. Um, I think also, like, like I, I for, for a while I thought it, the fact that I love watching these films where so many people get killed makes me, like, a bad person. But then I realised it actually makes me quite normal in the fact that, like, I think every human being has morbid curiosity. Everybody slows down to have a look at a car accident or everybody can't help but want to hear the full story if somebody's, like, I don't know, hurt themselves or, like, you know, we can't help but want to explore these things when they're not happening to us but they're happening, you know, outside the box or not, you know, we're not going through the experience but we love to sort of vicariously live through these situations. Mm. And I think that's also, like, part of being a human, part of coping with stress in a way that you know you're going to be okay at the end. Yeah. So, like, I think watching these films really helps people sort of think about and put in their body and go through that adrenaline, go through that stress 
and cope, but then you know you're going to be okay at the end. There's only a few apocalypse films where, like, it ends. Like, everybody's done. There's no glimmer of hope. I've got and a couple of those films, on my list. <laughs> I was going to say, those films I don't reckon I can pick up again. But all the others where there is that glimmer, there is that one person who survives, like, mm. it helps. Yeah, I like that little glimmer of it will be okay. It's okay. We're, we're curious about disaster. We just are as a human race. I think so. like we were talking about this in October with, with our horror movies. And I think, that, you know, we're talking about why do we like horror and what is it about horror that appeals to us? And a big part of it is the idea of fear in a controlled environment. Like I don't want to be scared in real life, but if I can watch in a controlled environment, I can kind of test myself and I can know at the end of the day, like if it's too much, I can turn it off. Or I do know that there's going to be credits at some point. I think that applies to disaster and, and apocalypse films as well. It's like, look, chances are I'm not going to be around if and when the apocalypse shows up. It's probably still quite a while away from us. But the idea that like, okay, well, that's what it'd be like. And yeah, again, like witnessing destruction and disaster in a controlled environment makes it a bit more palatable and it does kind of like give you a chance to experience it in a safe way. Um, mm. We're getting very philosophical <laughs> today. Well, but if you think about it, if you're putting your brain and your body through one of those experiences by watching those films, you are pretty much, you're close to those experiences. And mm. then the dopamine rush at the end when you survive, it feels great. Like it's mm. like you're getting a pleasure reward at the end. So why would we not be addicted to these sorts of films? Like we survived, hooray, you feel great. And one could, uh, one could I was thinking about this, and I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it up because this is a it is a lighthearted show, but I think it's worth exploring. We did kind of very nearly come close to an apocalyptic situation only a couple of years ago, like the world mm. shut down for over mm. a year. Mm. Do you know what I, I mean? And reading, I was reading up that during the COVID pandemic, the rise in people streaming apocalypse films went up by like thirty percent. That doesn't surprise me at all. Not yeah. me, because I had to work through the entire pandemic. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I, const- I constantly complain. Up. I'm like, oh, everyone had the problem of watching all of Netflix. What a horrible problem to have. Mm. I had the problem of working in a pharmacy while everyone was sick. Uh, that sounds horrible. I remember yeah. that. My mm. apocalypse. Um, but it's interesting. Like that's, maybe, that's probably the closest we've come at this stage to any idea of a doomsday. And I do remember experiencing that the quiet and the reset like you would look out and there was no one on the streets you know you would see images of the city and the city was empty or driving um, on the freeway there was like one car like like when they wake up in 28 days later or whatever and there's just no one on the road it's so cool. and they were saying i can't remember where it was i don't know whether it was everywhere in the world or whether it was specific, but they were saying that like the lockdown actually reduced pollution and like the air became purer like in mm. in cities because of the lockdown but even like, you know, my daughter was born, as was yours, like within during the pandemic and stuff like that. Mm. And Tina and I had this wonderful experience. And I know it wasn't nice for our families because they couldn't see our daughter, but we had months where it was just us in the house and there was no like – like when there's – generally, traditionally speaking, if you have a newborn child, like you get maybe a day and then like everyone's coming to your house yeah. and it's, you're constantly hosting or you're trying to like figure out this new routine and keep this life going and stuff like that. But we didn't have that. Like, and I don't know what it was like for you because I know that like the lockdown kind of opened and then shut down again. Um, I remember mm. we had a, a party for, for Heike at one point. Um, so I remember we, going to that. That was her first birthday a year later. Yeah. Mm. But, but yeah, so, in 2020, th- it was so, yeah, it was so refreshingly quiet. And we didn't have any of those pressures to get out there and do things. Because yeah. we couldn't. And I remember just thinking, yeah, that time was really, really precious because it did. It meant my husband got to be home for the entire first year of my kid's life. 
and he knew her just as much as I did. Like he mm-hmm. didn't miss as much as some dads miss, which is so sad to think of. But it, yeah, it was. Yeah, I've been there for just I've been there just yeah. about every first. I think I've been there mm. pretty much every first, which is, is very rare. Um, and look, I'm not saying that hey, like let's bring that pandemic back. But at the same time, no. like you talk about the needs for like the idea of the appeal of the quiet and the appeal of the reset. The, and there was something, you know, when I talk to people about it, you know, obviously it was a horrible time and a lot of people died and, and got very sick and stuff like that. But if you want to try and find a silver lining, and you know, you all, and this is the positive side of me coming out. If you want to find a silver lining, it's like I think a lot of people got a chance to reconnect, um, mm. you know, and kind of reevaluate what was right in front of them as opposed to worrying about everything, all those outside forces and things like that. I think so too. I would never wish it upon anyone and I would never wish it to come back, but we can't change anything. So Mm. we have to hold on to what was good. So that's what we will do. Yeah. I'd like to point out, still never had it. Um, COVID free since 2020. Yeah. The the only people I know in our family that haven't had as far as I'm aware are Tina, Zoe and myself. My goodness. We've dodged it for so long. And I put that down to me just being afraid of breaking the rules. Uh, like I was so strict during lockdown, like I would not break a single. I knew people who were breaking rules right and left. I'm like, mm, this kid doesn't have an immune system. Let's just stay at home. <laughs> like, no, we were very, very strict as well. My mm-hmm. dad has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, so like he, like he has one lung. So like we can't really support oh, wow. the other lung. We're we're in big trouble. Yeah. Um, but like, I only caught COVID once everything opened back up. I think I caught it maybe I think it was last year. So mm-hmm. like. I dodged it for the whole pandemic lockdown, but yeah, I got it once we all got back to school because I'm a school teacher. Yeah. I mean, to the best of my, I mean, I may have had it, but I've done, I want to say hundreds of tests um, and it's always come up negative. Um, Good work. To be fair, I did get pneumonia for a month. So I don't know whether that's like the best trade-off, but I didn't get COVID. (laughs) Well, I would like to segue with your pneumonia, (laughs) with your pneumonia drop into what is the first one on your list and is it something disease-related? Because I feel like you're going to hone in more on the disease sides of things. I can tell you now, I do not have a single disease one on my list. <gasps> Whoa, okay. I was not expecting that. Yeah. So you so you want me to go first? I want you to go first with one, with one of yours. Go on. Go your okay. bottom. Oh, yeah, we'll go, we'll, go, we'll go back and forth. So I'll do five, then you'll do five. I'll do four, you do four. That's cool. Uh, no okay, so my first one is a comedy. Um, because otherwise it's going to get dark. Um, this movie came out in 2013, I want to say. It was the first comedy I'd seen in theatres for a while, and to the best of my knowledge, I can't remember laughing harder at a cinema than I did at this one. Um, it's not like, in terms of apocalypse films, like, you know, it's not going to stand the test of time in terms of, like, award-winning, like, cinematography and stuff like that. But it's very, very funny. Um, it's very, very silly, and they do kind of it does actually make me feel like that's what the apocalypse would be like for people like us. Um, it's based on a short film called Seth and Jay versus the apocalypse. And it's called, this is the end. Um, <laughs> I was hoping that's it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Seth Rogen, uh, Craig Robinson, Jay Baruchel, James Franco, uh, uh, Jonah Hill, and like everyone from that group basically uh, all play themselves and they're going to a party. I think it's a James Franco house, if I remember correctly. It totally um, and is. It's like a Hollywood <laughs> you know, comedy elite party, and then the rapture begins. Um, 
and all the comedians and actors get left behind in Hollywood on this burning earth because <laughs> they're not pure of heart or anything like that. And it's uh, so juicy. It's so full of so many celebrities. It it's really is. Like Emma Watson, like, <laughs> <laughs> playing herself. <laughs> and Michael Sarah and Rihanna. Oh, and Michael like, Sarah is so like, good in it. And I, I remember, oh. like, reading an interview, or maybe I was watching a video, and he's like, I'll do it, but I don't want to play – I want to play the worst possible version of myself because everyone thinks I'm a good boy. Um, and there was, there's the moment in that film where he slaps Rihanna on the butt. Yeah. And he's like, and he's, yeah, I remember him saying, like they were talking about it and he was like, look, is it okay if I make contact? Like I think it would be funny. It would make sense. And she goes, that's fine. But I, then my slap has to be real. He was like, done and done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kid Patat, she slapped the shit out of him. It's yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but so the the rapture happens. All the good people get ascended, and then like fire demons and stuff happen. Like the, the world starts cracking open. I think Aziz Ansari falls down, and he's like, "Help me up!" And they're like, "Too late. You're already in the hole." Um, there's some really good one-liners in this in this movie. Um, and then what it is, it's just like six friends locked in a room while the apocalypse is happening outside. And like just getting on each other's nerves constantly, which I think I is how it would be. Like. Oh. You know, I like love watching all their little all their little insecurities bubbling to the surface and they set each other off. Like yeah. I just love that they they just push each other's buttons in terms of their fears and like, oh my god, when they try and do the cracks, they try and get rid of the cracks with duct tape and like, <laughs> like oh, I just love it so much. There's so <laughs> many good moments in it, like um like Jonah Hill just trying to like make Jay Baruchel feel more comfortable and just makes him feel more it's like, hey man, sick reference, <laughs> like stuff like that. Um, James Franco trying to keep Seth Rogen to himself. Um, oh, that's right. I haven't uh, seen I haven't seen it in a long time, but I always will remember it fondly and revisit it when I can because I remember it being really good fun. Yeah, really ridiculous. Um, Danny McBride, um, obviously being the bad guy, like just drinking all their water, <laughs> eating all their snacks, not even knowing what's happened. <laughs> Um, and my favorite, my favorite joke in the whole movie, like it made me laugh so hard in the cinema and like, that is a film filled with filthy jokes. This is like the cleanest joke in the movie. It made me laugh so hard <laughs> and it's Craig Robinson and it's like, people don't get it. You know, we've got it tough. We're actors. We have to sit on the beach, act like it's hot when it's cold, pretend some guy's surfing. I remember when he said that, it made me laugh so much. Um, and then... So this is a film where the apocalypse does happen and the world does end. Like, you know, there is no mm. one left. Um, and the ending, I remember, like, when this movie came out, I was going through a real existential crisis. I've been through two in my life. The first time was at 19 and the second was at 24. It was right before my 20th and 25th birthdays. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm old. I'm going to die one day. Um, and it really messed up for a while. <laughs> and when I saw this movie and saw how the movie ended, which is they all went to heaven and the Backstreet Boys lit a joint on their halos, and like played Backstreet's back, I was like, you know what? I'm now somehow this movie's made me comfortable with my own eventual demise. You're like, who's who's to say this isn't going to happen? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, if that's the way it ends, um, <laughs> it's really fun. It's really silly. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. I'm sure that like some of the jokes are questionable at this point, like because they they tend to push, you know, Just watch push it with boundaries. the lens of when it came out. Yep. Of course. Yeah. Um, but no, I love it. I think it's so funny. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a great movie and like, it's, it stays violent. Like it's, it's, you know, it leans to the apocalypse thing heavily. Like there's a lot of violence, like it does get gory and stuff like that, but it's still very, very fun. 
It's um, definitely very like biblical end of the world with like yeah. yeah. Oh, oh no, that's right, because it, that's yeah. the joke. They're all Jewish comedians. That's why they don't yeah. go to heaven. That's what it yeah. is. I forgot about that. <laughs> like it's not like a big tidal wave or like it's mm. it's very, very like God It's the rapture, mad. yeah. 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 <laughs> no, um, and I think like looking back on that, like their kind of catalogue of films, I think it might be my favourite of them. You know, I like 40-Year-Old Virgin. I like Knocked Up mm. and, and Super Bad. Stuff like that. But this one I think is so ambitious um, mm. that I – um. I really like it. And the short film's great as well. Like the short film, I think, is like five minutes. And it's just Seth um, Seth Rogen and Jay Baruchel arguing with you've got a friend in me from Toy Story playing in the background <laughs> while, like, the world's on fire. Like, you, you can still find it on YouTube. It's definitely worth watching. Um, but, yeah, that's the first one on my list. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was trying to think of, like, I'm, I don't lean very much into the the comedy side of apocalypse film. And I was trying to think... Like, come on, like Mads, I had a list going that I wanted to watch before I did this podcast because I was curious about them or there was ones that I hadn't seen that I really needed to watch to call myself like an mm. apocalypse, like aficionado, which I'm not really, but um, there was one that I was curious about and it was a comedy and I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. And it was called Rim of the World. Have okay. you heard of it? No. So it's like four kids go to a summer camp and then aliens land and like, screw everything up and they oh, have to wow. get from the, they have to get from the summer camp to NASA with like the kill codes for their alien spaceship and it is hysterical and I couldn't think of when I'd last like actually laughed out loud at just silliness and really great jokes in a comedy in a long mm. in a long time I'm not yeah. really a comedy person and this one I was pissing myself laughing I was actively like making noise and David's like what's so funny and I'm like this is really funny and it's these four kids and they've got to be 11 yeah and they swear and there's just like crude jokes and there's like four very distinct different like characters it's it was hysterical it was really funny and i would put it as i enjoyed it just as much as i did enjoy um this is the end oh wow it was hilarious it was really really funny and it had moments of beautiful friendships and moments of heart but generally the dialogue it was so quick and so clever and so funny and just watching kids like you know when you see kids say the f word and stuff like Mm -hmm. it just makes you you just makes your heart sing yeah Um, it was so it was so good have you seen and it might be on your i don't think it'll be on your list it could be on your list i don't know um have you seen turbo kid no okay i think that might be on stan i'm not sure but it's like a little boy he's like eight he might, might be 10 and he has a dirt bike and it's the end of the world. And like he has to like it's basically Mad Max with a little boy playing Max. Um That's so up my alley. That sounds really cool. And the but it's like it's an, like it's not for kids. Like it is violent. Like it is a violent film. Michael yeah. Ironside plays the bad guy. Um yeah, it's <laughs> it's really good. Um It's like when you first hear um what's her name in Kick Ass. Oh, Chloe Grace going. Moritz. Yes. When you first hear her just going off and the dialogue and the swear words and the sass. It was. It's like that, but it's a comedy, and it's four oh, kids. It's so good. It's, it's so yeah. Good. So I definitely highly recommend you watch Rim of the World. Definitely. It was fun. It was is, so fun. Is that your number five, or are you just throwing that one in there? I'm just throwing that one in there. Okay. Because like, <laughs> I know you like comedies. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, this is what I can gift you in terms of I apocalypse do, and comedy. I do like comedies, but I don't watch a lot of comedies. Um, but yeah. I do like. Yeah. Um. All right, Maddie, you're the expert. What is number five on your list? So I had lots of trouble ranking 
Um, because well, a lot it's of a my loose favorites... ranking. We know that well, they yeah. can move from... yeah. But lots of my favorites we've spoken about before. So, like, we've spoken about Deep Impact, which is pretty much my favorite, like, mm-hmm. ever. Um, so I've started to just... I've started to rank the ones that I've been really, like, like interested in or ones that I want to recommend to other people. Oh, I love this. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. So the ones that I want to recommend to other people, um, I definitely have a top five, but I've got like a loose 10. So we'll just see if they weave in and there, in and sure. out. But number five anyways is Red Dawn and it's the eighties version. With Patrick Swayze? Um, yeah. For Patrick Swayze. So um, this one I wanted to watch before we did this podcast, because I hadn't seen it. I'd seen the 2012 one. With Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, and I enjoyed it because it's very, it follows a very strict, you know, Hollywood formula. Mm. Um, and the two are so vastly different, but they're not different in terms of the storyline. The storyline's very much the same, but the way you come away from each film is very different. Mm. Um, I would say that the Hemsworth one, you're more comfortable. Um, there's moments of, lightheartedness and friendship and um when you're watching them um it's about a group of kids that are pretty much stuck in the middle of a like a war where um yeah don't like i i haven't seen it but my understanding is they don't like russian choppers like land in the middle of a school or something and take the school hostage yeah so in in the 80s one it's um communist uh oh morocco no oh they speak spanish and it's not Spain, so okay. maybe it's Morocco. It's them and they're teeing up with Russians. So okay. there's like two of them um, and they're trying to take over the Americas um, and it's com- like, yeah, communists versus the Americas, whereas in the recent remake it's the Koreans. I'm pretty sure it's the North Koreans. Interesting. Um, I mean, the villain always changes depending on what decade and what war has been fought at the time. Yeah, and what you can get away with. Yeah. saying who is a villain, a villain and who's not. And, yeah, but the 80s version is such a, like, a jarring, icy blast of fresh air. Like, it's not just fresh air on your face. It's like it's like going from a sauna to, like, a snow field in your knickers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's our clip for this week. Um. <laughs> Seriously, like, you just, like, your boots hit the ground, you get this cold chill up your spine and you're standing there like, what the fuck do I do? Like mm. your whole body's in shock. It is so, to put it bluntly, like in the first three minutes, you're in it. You're chucked straight in the wall, mm. straight I away. I love that. And, peop- and people are dead. Like, oh, that's, away. I was like, oh, that's great. I don't mean like it's great that people are dead, but I love it when there's no preamble. Like, you know, it's oh, nice to build up a story, but just yeah. hit the ground running. Like, there's yeah. no setup of like, oh, this is, you know, Patrick Swayze and his brother and their relationship. And oh, this is them walking to the corner shop at their hometown. So you feel bad when their hometown gets fucked. Like, <laughs> none of that. It is literally Swayze drops his brother and his friend off at school. See you later. I won't see you afterwards. I've got work. Okay, bye. They walk in the classroom. The teacher starts talking for 30 seconds. The Russians drop in in parachutes. Wow. Oh, that's window. cool. You see a kid hanging with his head out the window with a gunshot right in the middle of his head. He's dead. Teacher's dead. They're all scrambling back to the car park to get away in the car. They pick up a few kids along the way and randos along the way in the back of Swayze's ute. And you watch the ute, like, bouncing around and actual, like, actors just in the back almost flinging out. Like, there's no stuntmen. (laughs) And, like, that's the first two minutes. Easily. Easily the first two minutes. 
Oh, you've yeah. just sold me again. Sold me harder on Red Dawn than anyone's ever sold me before. Oh. Um, but but the, hang on. But I don't want to sell you because as exciting as that is, and as refreshing and different formulaic as that is, then the whole time you're watching this group of teenagers like infiltrate the town and do guerrilla warfare, it's bleak. Yeah. There are no moments of lightheartedness. There is no subtle like love relationship romance to sort of give you something to distract you. There is no real showing of tight friendships. Maybe there's a little bit of back and forth between the brothers, a little bit, but it is like desolate, ice cold, bleak. And everything that they do, you watch them fighting back, you watch them setting traps, you watch them doing the best they can. But in nowhere do you feel like they're gaining any ground. They're not mm. losing ground, but they're never gaining ground. Whether it's in the Hollywood 2012 one or whatever, you get this sense that they're gaining ground, that they're making a difference, that, you know, they're getting more traction, they're getting more people on their cause. So you feel more comfortable. Whereas mm. this one, it's just, it, it's, it's just so bleak. It's brilliant and it's great, but it's, it's bleak. And I am. Um, <laughs> I don't mind there being some some darkness in these films and some bleakness. Like, um, yeah. and that's that's the difference between the '80s and now. Like the mm-hmm. '80s, like to go on a tangent that's not apocalypse related at all. My one of my favorite '80s films of all time is Fast Times of Ridgemont High. Mm. I think it's the best teen film ever made. Um, but it has like teen pregnancy and abortions in it, and you would never see that in a teen film these days. Like, mm. you know. Even well, Mean Girls. the way it's presented in the 80s. Yeah. No, even Mean Girls feels like it's pushing the envelope compared to teen films these days. But, mm. like, um, yeah, the 80s was just a different beast. You could just do so many things in there. And, like, granted, like, some of the stuff wouldn't hold up today and I don't want them to do it. But, um, yeah, that was back when studios were taking risks, you know? Yeah. Like, if you – yeah. I, I, the way I explained it to David was pretty much with this film, they're not holding your hand. Mm. Like, they're just not. They're giving it to you raw and just ice cold and, like, no apologies. But it's – I think it's really great just because it feels so abruptly different. Um, Mm. And also, like, look, I'm not into blondes. I'm not – I've never really gravitated towards blondes, but Swayze is still beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to watch it just for Swayze, do it. And Jennifer Grey's in it. Oh, it's a Dirty um, Dancing reunion? Yeah, well, no, I looked it up. I was like, Is it pre Dirty Dancing? Pre, yeah. And that makes sense why she probably was really like shitting him when they did Dirty Dancing because they'd already met before. So she was <laughs> cheeky. And um, it's got, I mm, can't remember her name, but she is the swapped out actress in Back to the Future 2. Elizabeth Shrew? I guess. <laughs> she Sorry. plays um, his girlfriend, girlfriend in 2 and 3. Yes. But not in the first one. And the first no. girlfriend I actually think is better. I can't remember her name. Um, I think but she's I, better too. But, it's yeah, it's the second girlfriend. And nothing um, against Elizabeth Shue. She's fantastic. Elizabeth Shue in The Boys is incredible. Um, she's great. Well, but she's yeah, really the, good in this. She's really yeah. good in this. So her and Jennifer Grey play sisters. What if um, um what if good. Dirty Dancing is actually a sequel to Red Dawn <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> they've gone into an asylum? I don't want to don't want to give anything away, but uh, not possible. <laughs> <laughs> well what if dirty dancing is just like it just plays in like the dying moments of their mind like that's like the last thing they see before well yeah jennifer gray blows herself up with a grenade so she's not dancing 
<laughs> oh well. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's a high, it's a highly recommend just for the sheer like. Yeah. You've it's sold fun. me on Red Dawn. Yeah. You're very good at selling me on films. Um, and that just reminded me. I just saw this before. Um, we haven't really spoken <gasps> what did since you watch? I watched Steel Magnolias. Yay! Me and Gabby are so happy. <laughs> Yeah, I so I messaged you both the same the same morning after I'd watched it with the, pretty much the same review. Um, what a fantastic movie! Like, what a brilliant film. Yeah. Uh, we're going on a tangent now, guys, but I have to do this follow up with with Maddie about Steel Magnolias. Um, was not expecting, even though you had set me up for like it's based on a play, I was like, it just caught me by surprise. I was there forty minutes in, I'm like, gee, this scene's long, and I was like, oh, it's a play. Like that's why there's you know that's why it feels like the structure feels weird. And, like, I was expecting to cry. Like, everyone had told me it's a big, you know, kind of tearjerker film. And then, obviously, the sad thing happens, um, which kind of if we spoiled it when you were on or not, but the sad thing happens. And I was sad, but I wasn't crying. Mm. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, my God, maybe it just doesn't have that effect on me. And then there's this scene um, in, the, at the, in the graveyard, um, in the cemetery, sorry, graveyard, in the, <laughs> in the cemetery. In I mean, it's right. <laughs> In in the cemetery after the funeral, and um, Sally Field is talking to her friends, and like they're trying to like snap her out of you know out of just losing someone very important to her. They're, they're seeing her in so much pain that they just mm. want to stop her pain, and they mm. don't know how to do it. So yeah. it's a really wonderful scene, really wonderful scene, and they're going on and on, and then oh, I can't remember. It's Olympia Dukakis's character is like, mm-hmm. if you want to hit someone, hit Issa, <laughs> like. And it's meant to be played for laughs, but as soon as she says that, I lost it and I began crying uncontrollably because yeah. it was such like a beautiful, like generous, like it we'll reminded make me. T-shirts of... so they can say I had a whack at Weezer. Yeah, yeah. It reminded <laughs> me of a moment in a film I'm going to talk about later, um, so I don't want to spoil it. But like the whole idea of like I can't do anything for you, I cannot take this pain away from you. I can't control this for you, but what I can do is give you something that will distract you. Is the this is the most I can do? It's all I have. Please take it. Um, yeah. And there's a mo- yeah, so there's a moment in the film I'm going to talk about later that also made me cry heavily, and I was surprised to find the parallels between these two particular films because they're vastly different. Um, mm. But no, it was wonderful. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm so glad, and yeah, I'm sure Gabby was just so glad that you could see what we see and see the value in it as like. Like you're not a toxic male, but like just even as a general male living in a male filtered world, we're so glad that you could appreciate it for what we do. Was the great. only thing that I, I got caught up on, or like, because I think you said, because I sent you like a, I rec- recorded my review for you, because it was the kind of film I was like, I can't write down how I need to talk about it. Mm. And I did the same for Gabby, and she was like, Oh my god, I agree with her. And he said, One thing I didn't tell you is. Dolly Parton's husband, the entire time, I know that I missed something, but up until you told me, I thought that was her son. I was like, <laughs> I was like, like her adult son or something. And it wasn't, or maybe at the very end, like they missed, she said something that made, it, made me realize, but I was like, oh, I missed this. <laughs> oh my God. No, it's her, her absolutely indifferent husband. Yeah. But like, because you're so indifferent, I was like, oh, does she just have like a, like a teenage son or like an adult son who doesn't give her the time of day. I just missed it. Like I must have got distracted oh. for the moment it was addressed. Um, but anyway, I thought you'd appreciate oh, that. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Um, All right. What's your, what's your number four? So this is probably the most predictable one on my list. I think like when we talk about the apocalypse, this is the first film that comes to a lot of people's minds. Maybe not. Um, but it's um, 
the first time I watched this film, I was kind of, I came, everyone was like, this film's a masterpiece. It's like the best action film of all time. It's the best like apocalypse film of all time. The first time I watched it, I was like, I don't know. Like <laughs> they go one way, then they go back. Like what's so, you know, and then I watched it a few more times and I was like, oh, that's the point. And okay. once I kind of got the point, I was like, this is kind of brilliant actually. Like it's a, it's a loud film, but it's also very quiet in terms of its dialogue. Um, our hero or the t- titular character actually doesn't say much at all. He, he's very much in grunts and he's muted for a lot of the film. Um, visually, it's gorgeous. And um, it's the best use of a guitar I've seen in any film. And it's mm. Mad Max Fury Road. I was going to say, as soon as they go to one place and they turn around and go back, I knew what it was. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's the one reason that I have a problem with that film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first time I saw it, because everyone was losing their minds about it, and I was like, guys, like, they could have called it there and back again, like it a hobbit's like tale. like one step forward, two steps back, or like, mm. yeah. But, oh, like, the the stunt work is incredible. Like, visually, mm. it's great. Like, he kept, like, one of the most, oh, I know everyone thinks about the storm, like, you know, them driving into the storm is one of the most visual things, or like, kind of the one car in all of the army behind them. But one of the most iconic visual moments to me is when they get to like the end of the desert and there's like, they're not witches, but they're like the women of the sands or whatever. And like Megan Gale's up on a pole and she's naked. And like that frame is so like beautifully shot. It's like a postcard. Mm. Um, It's a, and like George Miller, who I think was in his seventies at the time of making it, um, to have created this franchise back in the 80s. And, look, I love the first Mad Max. I actually haven't seen Road Warrior or Beyond Thunderdome. I know that makes me a bad film snob and a bad Australian, but I'll get there. Um, but that first one is also, like, it's, I don't know why it took me so long to get my head around Fury Road, because the first one, the plot doesn't begin until an hour and 10 minutes in. Like, mm. until an hour, he doesn't become Mad Max until, like, 20 minutes before the end of the film. Um, spoilers for a 40-year-old film. Yeah, no, he's just, he's a cop for a while. Yeah. He's just Max. You know, yeah. he's just Max, you know, he's, he's mildly annoyed Max for about an hour <laughs> and then he gets a bit grumpier. Um, but it's so good. Like Tom, and like, it's interesting because Tom Hardy is such a fascinating actor to watch. He, I think he's one of those actors who I think people become a little bit too obsessed with. Like he's wonderful, but it's, it's almost, like, almost like Margot Robbie. Like she's always going to be great, but she's not the only choice for an actress, mm. just like how, uh, although that being said, as Barbie, perfect. Like I'm so excited about Barbie. Um, but same with Tom Hardy. Like there was a period of time, and I think it was just after Dark Knight Rises, where they were like, well, we want to lead. We'll just put Tom Hardy in everything. Mm. It's such a quiet, nuanced performance, which sounds weird to say in a Mad Max film, but every all of his acting is done, you know, in the top third of his head. Like it's just his eyes most of the time. Mm. And to I get so him, much... Yeah, I find him impressive in terms of he's a, he is a physical actor, but his physicality is restraint. Mm. And that's very hard to do. It's very hard not to be an over-actor. It's mm-hmm. very hard to sit back and have this acting style of restraint, and he does very well at that. I will give him credit for that. Absolutely. So good in that. Um, Nicholas Holt, um, or Holt, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, yeah. is fantastic. Like, I always think of him as Tony from Skins, but he's done mm-hmm. like a million things since then. Uh, yeah. And, by the way, is brilliant in everything. I, I really seen... enjoy most of his stuff, yeah. He's apparently he's one of the actors in the running to play the new Superman, which I'm like, yeah, like let's give him a, a good meaty leading role. Finally, like I love him as a, like, mm. as these side characters. Let's give him something to do. Like, he was um, beautiful in Tolkien. 
I still haven't seen Tolkien. Um, but he but was I really... beautiful, and it was a different performance than you've seen him do. And yeah, he was beautiful. I think he's a great actor. Yeah, I love him in yeah. everything I've seen him in. Um, uh, I haven't seen it. We, we were talking about this movie the other day. Um, well, I said that was, I think it was a month ago now. Still haven't seen, mm. it, but he was in a, he was the boy in About a Boy. Um, <laughs> like that's where he he started. Um, he yeah. was the original kid with the eyebrows. Like obviously now Will Poulter like is the kid yeah. with the eyebrows, but like uh, Nicholas Holt <laughs> was first. Yeah. Um, and ironically, they have similar sounding surnames. Um, but um, the, yeah, the whole flick is just—it's just beautiful. Like, and the mm. like, the idea I love of the, I love the color go. treatment. Yes, so the, the color treatment in the whole film is just this like, like warm, but it's not comforting warm. It's this like sort of harsh, sort of like the sun's on the side of your head at all times mm. while you're driving. Warm, and I love, love, love like all of the attention to detail with the costuming and with the pieces on the car. And like, I think my, my favorite thing, I've only ever seen it twice. I rewatched it again recently because I was like, I need to rewatch this because I didn't really enjoy it the first time in terms of the story, but I enjoyed obviously the visuals. So I watched it again to see if I was just being just really up myself and biased. And I really still, again, enjoyed the visuals, enjoyed the acting, enjoyed the, um, um, generally enjoyed the dialogue in the story, but I really enjoyed the small little details of um, what's called, you know, <coughs> mise-en-scene or the, mm-hmm. the way the scene is arranged or props and, like, Furiosa's um, acceleration pad. So, like, when she puts her foot down to accelerate in the truck, it's a foot-measuring thing that you see in Foot Locker. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just thought that was just superb. Whoever thought of that's just excellent. And um, what else I love? I love the editing. And mm-hmm. I was trying to think about, like, this is really jarring, but it's not annoying me jarring. And it's different sort of editing than I'd seen before. I like when he's, you know, trying to escape at the beginning and he's trying to escape out the tunnels and it does this sort of jittery, fast-forwardy, like it, it, yeah, it sort of fastens up the time speed and the editing of that's really interesting. And then I looked it up and it's edited by the director's wife and she won an, or she, yeah, she won an Academy Award for it. The movie cleaned up. The movie got... Won mm. quite a bit of, quite, quite a bit of a. I don't know why I can't say the words. Won a lot of awards. Yeah, it did that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love that. Um, obviously he's passed away now, but Hugh's uh, Hugh Keys Byrne, who plays a Morton Joe, he was Toe Cutter mm. in the original, um, mm. Mad Max. So, to bring so much back from that original one, and it almost feels like, maybe this is closer to the original vision because that first one's great, but like. Mm. It's very much, you know, reliant on its budget and the, you know, the limitations of the time. Whereas this is kind of like, oh yeah, this is what a Mad Max film should look and feel like. And it's interesting because it feels and looks very dirty, but also looks and feels very pretty at the same time. Like at the balance yeah. of like ugly and pretty is such a tightrope walk, and he's done it so well um, mm. because everyone is dirty and like in pain and hungry and thirsty. And but also I'm like Backed I could just up or bruised or yeah. But Lovely. also maybe one of the best looking movies ever <laughs> like it's mm. just gorgeous um and they did a black and white version the blood and chrome version which i haven't seen yet um i do have a copy of it but i'd be interested to see how that affects the viewing because one thing about that movie that's so great is the visuals and the color palette as you mentioned already so mm. i'll be interested to see how it looks in kind of a more monochrome look but um yeah i dig it like as I said, it's it's the easy choice for apocalypse films like any mad max film is, is going to be on someone's list i imagine but it's just great <laughs> like it's you know it deserves to be up there yeah, it's not something that I can watch if I'm not really, like, ready for it, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, agreed. 
yeah, because not not just because of the length, but because you have to invest in a lot of paying attention. You know, there's just a lot. Like there's a feast for the eyes that you've really got to be ready for, and you know, noise you've got to be ready for. And so there's things like that that I'm not always ready for. So mm. I wouldn't say it's a favorite of mine, but I would say it is absolutely a well-respected film for sure. I it's definitely it. not one that I need to like on the ones that, even though I've probably seen it more recently than a couple of the films on my list. It's not one I have to go to more than it once every couple of years. I would say once every three, four years. Yeah, um, me too. Like this is the end I actually haven't seen, I think, since Tina was pregnant, but I could watch that every year. Um, mm. The one I'm about to talk about in my number three, I actually watched this week. Um, you know, and it was big, and in preparation, I heard people talking about, like, oh, yeah, I want to watch that again. Um, and then the, the, my number one and my number two are ones I watch, I would say, every one to two years very easily. So most of mine are quite rewatchable, but Mad Max is definitely one I can I don't need to watch as regularly. Um, That's interesting. My top film, I haven't had a super solid count, but I've done a loose mathematic estimate with David, my husband, and the one at the top of my list I think I have now seen about 77 times. Wow. That might be more than I've watched any movie. <laughs> Like, with yeah. the exception of maybe School of Rock. Um, yeah. School of Rock, I watched 14 times the, the first week I borrowed it from the video store. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's not an apocalypse film. Um, yeah. And I'm so just realising that I, I'm just realizing that Logan counts as an apocalypse film when I didn't put Logan on my list. Um, oh. <laughs> and Logan gets met, like, I already mentioned Logan earlier in this episode. It gets mentioned a lot in the show. So Logan gets his props <laughs> regularly. It got mentioned in, in episode 50. So it's all good. <laughs> Uh, what is your number four? Christ, we're only at four. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to like be concise, but you're right. No, Early no, no. Day, my brain doesn't work. Um, no, there's no being concise here. We have to enjoy the time we have with these films. So number four, like I'm not taking no for an answer. You have to watch it. And I put it on a USB for you to watch. Mm-hmm. And it is a Tom Hanks film called Finch. Finch. Mm-hmm. I have never heard of this. So it is fairly recent. Um, and it's called Finch, and it's set after, I'm guessing, solar flares or something like that have devastated the planet and everyone pretty much is dead. Um, plants, insects have not survived. Um, so the last few remaining people sort of scavenge, you know, tin goods and you know, whatever they can. You don't really come into contact with any other humans besides one, which is Tom Hanks's character, Finch. Um, and he is a tech head working in an engineering firm for something um so he's techie and the whole journey is about him getting from point a which is his business place of business where also he lives underground um to keep safe from all the geostorms and whatever you want to call them um and it's to get from that place to san francisco because San Francisco may have not have been affected as badly because of its mountain ranges shielding it, blah, blah, blah. He's mm. going from point A to point B. But the catalyst, the reason why he's going from point A to point B isn't from himself. It is to save a dog called Goodyear. And it's um, his final act of bravery or kindness to this world is to not let this dog suffer. Um, he can only travel in his um radioactive hazmat suit because there's no ozone layer anymore or he can travel at night so he builds this beautiful rv to get them across the state um and he wants to protect this dog but he 
he knows that he obviously may not be around forever. So his contingency plan is he builds a robot um, and the robot he trains to make sure he knows he has to look after Goodyear, the dog. He has to look mm. after the dog. That's his job. That's why he's been created. And it is absolutely gorgeous. Think of like Castaway where Tom Hanks could, you know, think about if Wilson could talk back. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what Wilson the volleyball would talk about or say, etc. in his limited knowledge. It's mm. kind of like an extension of that. Um, the, the robot, when you watch it, don't blindly watch it in terms of what's just happening. Watch the robot because it's almost like every half an hour the robot ages. Interesting. When the robot's first born, he's disjointed, his speech is stuttery and crackly and, um, you know, not quite right. And then a half an hour later, he's sort of speaking and conjugating his sentences like a two-year-old. Like you'll recognise that the way our daughters talk. In, yeah. In the, the robot's called Jeff. He chooses the name for himself. Um, <laughs> he wants to be called William Shakespeare, but he gets called Jeff. Um, and later on then he sort of starts to act and his body language and the way he walks starts to change to like a 12-year-old. And there's this awesome scene where he thinks while Finch isn't looking, going to pee in a diner somewhere, he tries to drive the RV, RV and he crashes the RV like a 12-year-old. <laughs> and Finch comes out and he's like, did you did you try and drive the RV? And he sort of slumped down and looking a bit sheepish. And he's like, uh, no. And like, <laughs> body language is like a 12-year-old. And then later on he's like a 16-year-old and he like swaggers around and he says, ah, I've got initiative and I can do all this and I can help you, Finch. And his voice suddenly like goes through this different change and it goes from crackly and disjointed to sounding kind of like a Borat. He kind of talks like Borat. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hello, Finch, can I help you? Like it's, yeah, <laughs> I will show initiative. Like he's very interesting. And then like right at the end of the film, he's sort of smooth and relaxed and the way he walks is with this quiet confidence and this sort of feeling of a place in his role and his world and, um, and, you know, suddenly he's an adult almost. Um, but it's you won't notice that unless you've watched it maybe a couple of times or someone points it out to you. So I mm. wanted to point it out to everyone listening to watch it and just watch this evolution of this AI. But he, he ages like a normal human does in terms of the way he speaks and interacts and like, he doesn't get jokes, he doesn't get innuendo. <laughs> like there's this <laughs> one scene where... Tom Hanks tells him, like, I can't go out in the daylight. Look, it, there's no ozone layer. It's like Swiss cheese up there. And then he walks off and he turns around and Jeff's just standing looking at the sky. And he's like, what are you doing? Come with me. And then Jeff's like, I'm trying to locate the cheese. Where is the cheese in the sky? Like, yeah, it's brilliant. I was just looking it up and he's voiced by Caleb Landry-Jones, who um, most people will probably know as the demented brother from Get Out. Um, oh, okay. But he was also um, in X Men First Class. He played Banshee. He was also um, the first thing I saw him in was the Last Exorcism, where he played mm -hmm. another messed up brother. Um, <laughs> he always plays like creepy guys, but uh, oh, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear he got a nice role, in except for Banshee. Like in X Men, he was nice, but it sounds like he plays like sounds like a bit like Chappie. Actually, that's a better way you describe. It's very similar to Chappie. That's another um, Apocalypse film. Actually, it's quite good. <laughs> But it's less like with Chappie where they're kind of, you know, not really teaching him right and wrong, et cetera. Yeah. Um, in this, it's more about not making mistakes. If we make mistakes, we die. Your yeah. job is to look after this dog. You cannot do that. Like, 
And oh, one of the best ones in the whole film, Tom Hanks yells at him and he's like, I know you were born yesterday, but it's time to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's solid. Yeah, it's an Apple Plus movie. So um, yeah, no, definitely can to check it out. Sounds great. Get on it. It is. It's really, really good. Really and nice good. to see something so new on the list, you know? Like, it's very rare, like, when we do these lists of favourite films, they tend to be, you know, 10-plus years old. So like, if it's in the, the same decade or, you know, thereabouts, it's pretty rare. So mm. um, that's very, very cool. I like that. Yeah. All right, what's yours, number three? Number three. So this is going to be, I would say, maybe the most controversial film on my list because it's totally an end-of-the-world film. It's totally an apocalypse film, but we don't really know it until the end. Um, it's actually a horror film for the most part, like horror sci-fi film. Um, and, uh, it was, I think it came out in 2012, um, directed by Drew Goddard and, uh, it's The Cabin in the Woods. Oh. Okay. Have you seen it? No, I thought you were talking about a different film where, um, there's a different film that does sort of does something like that where you don't realise something until the very end and then your whole perspective of what you've been watching, you suddenly, like, Mm. question like your reaction to everything and yeah so the Ooh. cabin in the woods is uh it it's not a comedy like it was kind of marketed as a comedy it's not but it's very much a tongue-in-cheek take on 80s horror films in particular and basically it kind of explains the existence of all all horror movies uh, and the idea is that like there are these gods that live beneath the crust of the earth and they were the original owners of the earth um oh. and then when when kind of mankind was born, this kind of deal was made where they're like, look, we'll let you have the earth, but you must, you know, perform a sacrifice every however many years. Um, and the way they do it is through horror. So, like, in Japan, like, the grudge ghost is, like, you know, <laughs> like, sacrifices children. Like, there's all these rituals around the world. Different cultures have different ones. So, like, Brazil has, like, a King Kong-type beast, but the States has this cabin. So, in the United States, what they do is actually the, the cabin sits on a block of land that's, you know, hundreds of miles above this underground laboratory kind of surveillance thing. And all these people work in this underground area. And this mm. isn't a spoiler. Like, the film starts with it. Like, so you know about it okay. pretty early on. Um, and basically what they do is they build everything up. So they find five teens. Um, it has to be young people because young people um, have to be punished. That's, that, that's, the, <laughs> that's the rule. Young people deserve to be punished. And they have to, have to, fi- they have to find five different types of people. So you have to have the athlete, you have to have the scholar, you have to have the whore, um, the virgin and the fool. Um, and yep. if you look at like most horror films from the eighties, like that is kind of the characters you do get. The tropes, yep. But there's a great moment at one point where like they're talking to this, like they're talking at the end of the film where they're talking to the girl who's the virgin. She's like the virgin. And they're like, look, we use what we've got. <laughs> like, cause it, like, cause in like modern society, like, that's pretty, you know, like th- that's obviously a very old stereotype. Like, it's, it's quite funny. Um, and basically, so like they lure these five people to the cabin, like, and they pump it with pheromones and stuff. So like they start acting dumb or like horny or like stupid, like, and make the decisions that characters in horror films would make. And that's why, like it's being controlled by these people underneath the cabin. Um, and then they have to make them choose how they get punished. So, of course, like the trapdoor, like in the, the the hidden trapdoor opens up, and they find like all these weird artifacts underground. And depending on what artifact they choose to look at, will determine what monster hunts them for the rest of the film. So mm. there's like um, there's like a like a, nepro- a Necronomicon type diary. So like Evil Dead zombies. Um, there's like there's a merman. That's a, like an ongoing joke. There's like there's a, a killer merman. There's like a Hellraiser type 
uh, monsters and stuff like that. And basically, they all have to get killed off one by one, but they have to die in a certain order. So the first one to die has to be the whore, because in all the oh. horror films, like the slutty girl always gets killed. Well, and then the virgin dead. can survive or not. It doesn't really matter. But she has to be the last one standing. Yeah, um, she's the, the most pure. She's the pure okay. one. Yeah, the exactly. Most, she's she's innocent in purity. Um, okay. So it is scary. Like, it plays like a horror film. Like, that's why I said it's not a comedy. Um, it does. It is very violent and is very brutal, but, like, because of that sci-fi element and some of the, like, the tongue-in-cheek moments, it's very enjoyable as well to watch. Mm. Um, so it's and, sort of straddling the lines of comedy, horror, sci-fi, and apocalypse. Like, it's really sort of branching together lots of, yeah. yeah. Cool. And it's re- like it's walked so many lines and just balances it perfectly for me. Like, I know some people didn't like the film because they thought it was a bit too silly or satirical, but for me, I'm like, it, even in 2012, we'd run out of ideas. Do you know what I mean? Like, in 2012, we ran out of ideas. And this was actually made a few years beforehand. But to do a film that tries to do a new take on a tried and, you know, kind of play to death concept and bring something new to it that worked, I was like, well, well done. Like, yeah, still well done. Um, cool. It's got a really good cast. Um, it's a Joss Whedon production. Now, obviously, Joss Whedon has since become somewhat of a problematic figure, but um, the the film itself, he's, I think he was only a writer and a producer. He didn't direct it. Drew Goddard did, as I mentioned. Um, but you've got Amy Acker, who was in Angel and Buffy and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Bradley Whitford um, is one of our scientists. So he was the dad in Get Out. He's also from the West Wing. Ah. He was he was um, Eric, the bad man in Billy Madison. Mm-hmm. Um and then you've got Richard Jenkins as well, who's a fantastic actor. So they're like our scientists underground. Um, and then our here, I don't know all of the actors' names off the top of my head, but the main one is um, Chris Hemsworth. He's our, he's our athlete in the film. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so they end up getting hunted down by, like, redneck zombies, um, getting killed by one, one by one, and then the two survivors manage to find their way into the underground laboratory and trying to escape what's going on. Um, and in doing so, accidentally unleash every single monster that's been locked away and like basically oh. creates this bloodbath in the laboratory below. <laughs> um, it's really fun. Sigourney Weaver's in it as well, by the way. Oh, like she's, cool. Um, yeah, I'll watch anything she's in. <laughs> and she's only in it for a little bit. Like she's kind of a cameo, and I guess she's kind of a, like a surprise cameo, but the flick's also like over 10 years old. So, you know. Yeah. Um, cool. But it's really, it's really fun. Like it's, it's if you're a horror fan, like you're going to dig it. Um, if you're like, even again, like Tina's seen it, like Tina watched it with me when it came out, um, because I was like, oh, and she quite enjoyed it as well. It was a little bit scary for her because I know she's not huge on horror, but all in all, like it's, it's really enjoyable. Um, I won't spoil the ending for you because, um, it sounds like you might watch it now, but yeah, it's solid. It's really good, but it is an apocalypse film, even though it takes a little while to reveal that it is one. So that's probably the most controversial one on my list because mm-hmm. some people might disagree. No, I don't think. No, I think it fits in what we're deciding is our broad umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I just watched it the other night and it holds up. Like, it's so much fun. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I was thinking about um, the other day um, when I made my list, um, there was one film that I wanted to watch. Like, there was a couple of films that I wanted to watch before we did the podcast and that was um, Vespa, The Road, um, which one else? Vespa, The Road, what else did I say? I haven't heard of Vespa. I've seen The Road. Um, the Stand, film. I never ended up watching The Stand. I didn't get around to Ooh, it. Oh, it's um, long. Like, it's so long. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and Moonfall. So I literally watched Moonfall like two days ago. Is that, uh, like, is that a uh, 
What's his yeah, name? Is that so a Roland Emmerich? Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. I had a look and I was like, hang on, this is really, like, I'm I'm really digging this. I'm really, in, like, I'm, I'm loving the way this is travelling and, the like, the way that the narrative is presented. Hang on a minute. This seems kind of like a familiar formula. And I looked it up and, yeah, it's a Roland Emmerich film who did 2012, Independence Day Resurgence, Day After Tomorrow, um, The Tides slash I think it's called The Colony in some other areas. Um, and I was like, okay, I, I'm digging I'm digging the way this guy does these films. They're in no way like the most genius, poignant films. But in terms of disaster films, like it's like a really nice ice cream sundae. He gives you all the good stuff. Like, and you don't feel bad about it when you finish the whole giant, like, tub of ice cream. Like, it's good. Is the um, is the premise of the movie in the title? <laughs> is it literally the moon is falling? The, the moon, yeah. It literally goes out of orbit and uh, pretty much gets very, very close to Earth. Does it need, do they send, like, a team of scientists up who need to, like, tow it with, like, an interstellar tractor or something like that? Is that? So I was thinking it would be something stupid. But it's actually something that um, I really enjoy reading about, which is other scientific um, processes and things. So it gets a little bit sciencey. It doesn't really explain it well um, for people who don't like exploring those sorts of things or don't already know similar concepts. Um, it does enough that you can kind of follow along and just fluff about and get it. But um, basically, it's a mega structure. Okay. And if you don't know if you don't know what a megastructure is, a megastructure is a power source like a white dwarf or a white white dwarf, yeah, that's been harnessed by an alien civilization. The power source has been harnessed. They've built, you know, um, technology and structures around this power source, and then the crust and the surface of the planet, in quotation marks, is kind of just like a shell, a covering. So our okay. moon is not actually an actual moon it's a mega structure built by aliens um wow yeah so i mean that's i'll be honest so it's like different than where i thought it would go definitely really cool. like that's actually kind of cool like it's very silly but i'm like mm. you mean you mentioned you used the phrase geostorm before like oh, of the silly bad. movies yeah no geostorm was really bad moonfall is actually very very fun it i would say it's on the same footing for me as like 2012 and the day after tomorrow in terms of like I love the day after tomorrow I think it's yeah great. I really like it um Jake Gyllenhaal Emmy Rossum Dennis Quaid like love yeah it. it's got a bit of far-fetched stuff in it in terms of like I don't know there's just some things that you're like okay well this is going a little bit too over the over the top I would say but it's yeah it's good it's a it's a good comforting ice cream sundae of a disaster film um, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll put it on the list. I'll tell you this about Day After Tomorrow because it's not on my list. I don't know if it's on your list. The first time I watched that was in science class in high school because we were learning about global warming. <laughs> and they were like, this is what will happen if you don't They're like, you need to watch guys. this, guys. Guys, you need to watch this. This guys, is the you future. Have to recycle or we're all going to be cold and living in libraries. They're like, next up, we're <laughs> I forgot about that. I always think about like the boat that's frozen in the harbour and the wolves are in there. Also, guys, oh, yeah. next we're going to watch... 1998's Godzilla, because that also could happen. Um, <laughs> Two very important life lessons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's, your, what's your number three? Um, my number three is A Quiet Place 1 and 2. 
didn't even think about it quite. You want to just clap for me right now? Just clap, just bow down. I just love that both of our threes were horror films. Mm. Um. You mean oh. you're not calling this a family film? Are you kidding? It's about a family. I mean, well, it is. A, it is. A, I mean, there's definitely a family in it. Uh, oh boy! Like I watched that. I, I said I saw the first film when it came out in theaters. I think it was like right after I come back from our honeymoon. Actually, my wife and I's honeymoon. Um, I, I was jet lagged and watched a Quiet Place, which is probably too quiet a film to watch when you're jet lagged. Um, <laughs> I've watched it twice. I saw it once before and then once since Zoe was born. That opening scene a lot tougher to watch once you're a parent. <laughs> like, oh yes. my god. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, so one of the films on my list that never got in my top five is Greenland, and there's a scene in that that now that I've become a parent, I won't watch the film at all just because it's one. Well, there's a two-minute scene in it, and now that I'm a parent, no, I'm never picking that film up again just because I can't do it. So Greenland, if you're a parent, caution, just caution. But back to A Quiet Place, like how amazing – how amazing is that color palette and those visuals and like like Krasinski made some beautiful choices, like mm-hmm. beautiful choices in casting, getting an actual hearing impaired actress, mm-hmm. perfect choice. Like the actor who plays the the son is he's brilliant. I've seen him in a few things. I can't remember his name, but he's a really 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 gorgeous choice. Um, I love the setting on the farm and like through the yes. corn and the old house. I love his um, it, the way he chooses his shots. Like when you're watching, um, and they do the foreshadowing with the you know the um, what is it the nail on the stairs, and they foreshadow the nail on the stairs, and you know something's happening and something's going to happen. And when you see her returning back down, Emily Blunt returning back down the stairs, and the the just yeah the foreshadowing of little. That's the only part of the film that I struggle to buy. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, there's no way you you stop that scream. Like, there is like, I'll buy the pregnancy muffling before that nail. That nail is so sharp, uh, and so uh, shocking. Nah, nah. I've put my foot completely through a nail. Have you? And I was wearing thongs, and it stuck the thong to my foot. It was really ah. shit. And I was at a party, and I was standing there like, "Hey, what do I do, everyone?" And they're all like, "Get it out!" And I'm like, "It stuck the thong in." So I had to like grab the thong and use the thong to like pry it off my foot. I, didn't I was also kind of very half drunk, but yeah. I was, I felt it. I didn't scream. Ah, <laughs> uh, look, I have <laughs> like. That's more afterwards. Walking around on it afterwards was shit. With a hole in your foot? Yeah. Really oh. put a downer on the part. I just have like <laughs> the back of my legs are like tensed up now from the idea of stepping on a nail and nah. pulling one out. Um, nah. Not that bad. Oh, yeah, but I'm weak. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I always, um, when I watch that film now, when I watch it through, I always tense up when there's the scene of like the baby in the box and it's the basement starting to flood and the baby's got like the oxygen on its face. I'm always just like, oh, this just seems really like, you, like I just have, you know, the whole parenting thing of don't put mm. anything in the cot with your baby because they'll suffocate. But even though like the baby's got an oxygen mask on, it's not going to suffocate, but I just, I feel yeah. the padding and the lid and I just think like, that makes me like clench up, like, oh, I don't like that. But mm. so good that the creatures are just awesome. Mm-hmm. The sequences are awesome. The like the pace of the film. And once again, I love that it's quiet. <laughs> and then the second film, I just absolutely am obsessed with how clever that opening scene was and the camera work within the car and out of the car in that opening scene and in, you know, watching them run away through the cafe and meeting um, uh, whose character do we meet? Um, 
Oh, his name's gone out of my head. Killian Murphy. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Watching his character get No Stranger to Apocalypse films. 28 Days Later, Sunshine. Like, he's done no. a few. Yeah, he's the perfect choice. Um, and again, like the setting in the, I don't know if it's a, it's not a metalwork factory, but it's like a boiler factory or something. Yeah, they're like, like in a giant tube or something. I've only seen the yeah. second one once and I I was distracted, if I'm honest. Like I, I, like I had things going on, so I haven't seen, I can't mm. remember that one as well. Um it's but the yeah, sequences ref- are but the opening so, sequence is fantastic, yeah. Yeah, the cam- the camera work and mm. yeah, the way that they're presenting once again this new story that we really haven't quite seen before. Yeah, I just think he he made no mistakes. There were there was really no mistakes for me in those films. I just mm. thought they were wonderful. Yeah, that first one in particular like you never have feared like a dry leaf before in your life, and then just like the idea, or like the little, um, you know, we talked about that opening scene, like the little like spaceship or whatever it is that just oh. the toy with batteries. I have. Do you have toys, by the way, that like if you press buttons and play with them, like as in sorry, the girls, not you. Um, and then when you walk Why away, but when you walk away, like five minutes later, they go off on their own to try and like tempt you back. Yes, there are, there are two that there are two they that I can think of. She used to have this little elephant, um, and like it would like sing. It was like elephants are loud, boom, boom. Like do these things, but if you don't play with it, and then it'd be <laughs> like, "I'm an elephant." I'm like, "No, I, I'm aware. It's cool." And the <laughs> it's other like in a thing, somewhere, and you're like, "Shut up, elephant." <laughs> and the other thing she has, which she's just brought back into the house, is when she was a baby. It was like a like a little jungle setting thing. So it's like a three legs and like has hanging dangly things. So babies can like kind of interact mm. and do soft play and stuff. But like, if you hit it, it plays like this jungle song. <laughs> like, okay. um, and she's had it in her room the last couple of nights. I took it out because of what happened, but <laughs> I tripped over it. And then she started like <laughs> making all these monkey noises while she's, I've just put her to sleep. I was like, ah, <laughs> shut up monkeys. Um, and we like, that a- was terrifying enough, but now thinking about a quiet place, that would be the worst way to go. We have a piano, like it's mm. a little kid's toy piano, but it's shaped like a cat and it makes cat sounds. Like you can make it like a normal piano, but you can also click a button so then all the keys go meow, meow, meow. I remember, meow, I know meow. that one, yeah. Yeah, but when you walk away and don't play for it for like three or four minutes, it starts purring. So you'll be somewhere and all of a sudden you hear <laughs> and you're like, fuck, it's playing fun. And, yeah, creeps me out. But, yeah, what a way to go. I remember the first time I saw A Quiet Place. Again, like as I said, I was in the cinema and I was very tired. Like I should not have gone and seen that movie. Um, I I didn't fall asleep. Like I loved it, but I was not in the right headspace. Mm. Um, I remember being very surprised by how abrupt the ending of it was. Um, but now, like watching, like having watched it a few times since then, such a badass way to end the film. Like just the mm. credits, like. <laughs> yeah, and Emily Blunt looking just like such a lovely, gorgeous little wafy farm wife, being like, "I've just given birth. I'm gonna fuck you up." Like, yeah, she got a baby like in a papoose or something. She got a shotgun. She got her two kids. Like, let's yeah. let's end this now. Um, so when David, when David first saw it with me, um, I think we saw it in the cinemas too. He was like, as if she's gonna be walking around after she just had a baby, and I was sort of just holding my tongue, like, well. You never know. Like women do really cool stuff all the time. And then after I had like yeah, Heike and my son, now he's just like, oh yeah, yeah. You can get up and walk around if you. Yeah, have Taylor's to. walking like, around the next day. Yeah. Yep. So. I left the hospital three hours later. Like, 
Yeah, well, your your birth was your birth was very different. Um, oh yes, yeah. it wasn't in a bathtub, like in a quiet place. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was still it was still in a, it was still in a body of water. But I was gonna say it was kind of in a bathtub. <laughs> it was kind. Of, it was in a blow up pool, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, quiet place. I just think there's very little you can be like annoyed about or critique in that film. It was wonderful. He made one film before a quiet place. Um, really? The, yeah, yeah. It's called The Hollers. Um, and it's beautiful. Um, and basically it's like he plays like um, – he he comes back to like his hometown and his mum's – because his mum's unwell and like all the family getting back together and like he's bringing his – it's either his girlfriend or his fiance, but then like his high school sweetheart like is always around and stuff like that. It's very much mm-hmm. just like a family drama, but it's beautiful. Richard Jenkins I think is in that one again. And wow. um, what's her name? Oh, I can't remember her name at the moment. I have to look it up because look it up. Yeah. she deserves to be shouted at. Um, the one who plays his mum. Uh, it's so but... interesting that he's come from a place of comedy, but he's making these really, really sophisticated films. I mean, it is a comedy, but it is. Um, oh, Margot Martindale plays his mum. Oh, okay. But um, like Charlotte Copley is in it. Richard Jenkins, as I mentioned, Anna Kendrick, mm. Charlie Day. Mm. Um, it's. I love Charlie Day. Yeah, he's so good. <laughs> he's um, great value. It's so he didn't write it, but he directed. It, but it's wonderful. Like it's such a wonderful. Like like almost no one talks about this film. I've never heard anyone talk about it, but um, it's great. Like that was his first film, and then but to go on from that, which is an excellent debut to a quiet place. It's just like how, like how how did you do that? Like what a magic trick. Um, yeah. I consider it like similar to the jump between Jackie Brown and Kill Bill. Like Jackie Brown's a wonderful film, but seven years later, you're like, he made this. This is yeah. the next film. Like. This Technicolor fever dream of samurai swords and blood, like oh my goodness, like mm. um, totally excellent. We are getting down to the pointy end. Um, mm-hmm. Number two, my number two is another comedy, um, and uh, this this is actually a film I put off watching for a long time because someone, I think my brother told me he goes, look, it's good, but it's really depressing. I was like, that's a shame because I love this director and I love this cast, but I guess I'll wait. Um, and then when I watched it, I was like, shut up. Like, it's not that depressing. Um, but I was also going through my existential crisis. It came out the same year as this is the end. It was the other end of the world film at the time. It is the British take. It is Edgar Wright's The World's End. Um, and uh, it's brilliant. Like, <laughs> Hot Fuzz is, of course, my favorite Edgar Wright film of all time. But this is a close second. I, I rank it higher than than Shaun of the Dead or anything else he's done. And I love all of Edgar Wright's films. Mm. But basically... You have the classic matchup of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, but this time they've reversed the roles a little bit. Um, previously, Nick Frost has been – well, in Shaun of the Dead, Nick Frost is probably most unlikable and Simon Pegg is, is kind yeah. of like – they kind of, they've kind of mixed it up. But like in this, like Simon Pegg is your unlikable like scumbag um, yes. and Nick Frost is very kind of quiet and closeted and very like um, – softly spoken and a bit of an introvert because of an incident happened when they were kids. Um, you've got Martin Freeman, who is always wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. Rosamund Pike, who not only has the most British name of all time, but is also delightful. Um, and you've got uh, Paddy Considine and Eddie Marzen as well. Um, brilliant cast. And basically what it is, they're, they're five high school friends. They come back to their hometown to do um, the Golden Mile, which is a, a pub crawl basically. Um, they tried it when they were teenagers. They could never finish it. So they would like, we're going to do it. Um, I think, I can't remember what the reason is. I, I think um, Simon Pegg says that his mum just died or his mum's dying or something like that. So that's why they get back together because they all mm. hate him. 
Like he was like yeah, he hasn't he changed since high school. Them. Yeah, he manipulates them to do this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he manipulates them. Um it's and then as they kind of like progress through the pub crawl, they start to notice things like how people haven't really changed either and the town hasn't changed and everything's a lot more like it's all very structured and very kind of like um Stepford wives in a way. And um mm. and then what they find out is that the world like the the world is slowly being invaded by like this kind of alien robot civilization and they're making like clones of people and to convert them into these robots. Um, and this film could not exist without Hot Fuzz. Like Hot Fuzz was like Edgar Wright's statement on American action films and cop films. And he took everything he learned from that film and put it into this. And you get some really sophisticated fight scenes. Um, there's a really great like fight scene in the bathroom where like he's pulling the robots apart and there's like blue ink everywhere. Uh, <laughs> It's it's so good. And then you've got um, Pierce Brosnan who plays like their high school teacher, but he's also a robot. Uh, and I like that Rosamund Pike's not a – she's not like a damsel. She's No, just a, she's badass. Yeah. She's a hero, I love yeah. It. She's cool, yeah. yeah. Um, the montages are all just you, – you grin. You grin through everything. Yeah, yeah. when they play – is it um, Whiskey Bar by The Doors? Like just the perfect introduction to – oh, it's so good. Um mm-hmm. It's 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 everything I want, you know, in a movie. Um, you get your Cornetto, your Cornetto reference. It's very brief. It's very subtle. It's at the end of the film um, because the world does end. Um, that's not a spoiler. It's literally in the title. Um, but it's just so charming, and every character like is so lovable and enjoyable. And Nick Frost, like he's the backbone of all of these films for me. Like everyone, like looks at Steve uh, Simon Pegg as the leading man. He absolutely is, and he's wonderful as well. But like Nick Frost Nick is Frost. like he carries every film he's in. Like yeah. you like Hot Fuzz so much because of Danny, and you like uh, the world and so much of his character. I've forgotten the name at the moment. Um, yeah. But you know he's so um, wonderful and likable, and it's so weird seeing him play Meek because he's so not that character normally. I know, like watching with him in like fighting with my family, and he's like oh, I love and fighting with my in, family. Even watching him in Paul, like you just yes, you just can't help but love. Yeah, the characters that he plays. I've forgotten what the film is where he's a – I think he does ballroom dancing to win over his Oh, um, I haven't seen one. it, but I know what you're talking about. I've <sighs> only seen a bit of it, but you still – you love him. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He's just one of those characters that you fully believe. You fully are just – yeah, he's endearing no matter what he's really doing. He's – yeah. Yeah, and yeah, one of my favourite jokes in the entire film is at the end um, because they like so they start losing their friends again, convert, and Martin Freeman, I think, is the first one who gets converted, and, like, they blow the top of his head off. And so at the end of the film, he's just put, like, a soccer ball over the hole. He's just drawn eyes on it. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, every time I see it, it cracks me up. Uh, and that's your Wilson come to life. Like, that is <laughs> Finch meets uh, Castaway. Martin Freeman in, Martin in World's Freeman. End. That's how you get it. Um, but no, I adore it. I think it's so fun. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's brilliant. It's just so like, Edgar Wright can do no wrong to me. Like, I've never seen an Edgar Wright film I haven't liked. Um, I'm glad that you brought up this film because it helps me just quickly edge in if you haven't seen Cargo. That's got Martin Freeman. I've heard Cargo is quite good. Is that that's the Martin Freeman zombie film set in Australia? Yeah, so it's um, it's set in Australia, but it's one to see because it shows the Australian landscape as like 
beautiful and like the Aboriginal people not as like it, it it doesn't portray the Aboriginal people and their society and their culture as anything negative or anything it's it's respectful it's positive um it's a nice take it's a nice it's a nice angle of view which I think is still truthful of like our country and our Aboriginals and stuff but Mm -hmm. also within that is set this you know family man trying to get to safety during a zombie apocalypse in the outback like that's different than anything we've seen we normally see zombies in a tight space we Mm -hmm. normally see you really shoved in and you're battling against the zombies but the setting but also crowds of people struggling as well where there's in outback Australia it's a different context for zombies and um it's a it's a really interesting different take but it's respectful of you know there's so often that we see you know an Aussie character in an American film and you cringe at it or you think they're trying to be a bit too funny or you're a bit offended by it or or it's just stupid to get laughs whereas in this it's completely yeah completely respectful um, and sort of truthful and yeah it's it's hard it's hard to watch especially as a parent um, because it's Martin Freeman's trying to get his daughter, his like infant toddler daughter to safety before he like gets done in pretty much. That's very similar to Train to Busan, uh, which is the Mm. South Korean one, which is the Korean one. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, It's hard to watch, but you should watch. So in terms of Martin Freeman, watch Cargo. He can do no wrong either. Like put Martin Freeman, anything he's going to do a good job. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. yeah, he was um, one of my favorite characters in the Wakanda films. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I um, I yeah. I don't think Tina's seen the second Black Panther yet, but I saw it on my birthday in theaters, and like was blown away. I was not expecting to love it as much as I did. I was like, well, because the trailers did nothing for me. The trailers I thought mm. were were fine, um, mm. and I know I'm in the minority because everyone's like those were perfect. I just didn't. I was just like, well, you show me you've made a Black Panther movie without Black Panther. But I don't know if it's going to be any good, and I lo- I like it more than the first one. I like it more than the first mm. one. I really, re- I really like both. I really like the sequel too. And you're right, mm. the trailers just didn't quite hit the right notes that they were supposed to. But the second one was good, and yeah, Martin mm. Freeman was he's really good in them. And like that little twist, like of him mm. being married to who looks like our upcoming, like one of our villains coming up, like great. Yep. Uh, what's your number anyway, two, Maddie? Um, my number two is. The Planet of the Apes trilogy, the recent oh, one. So good. I was just thinking about that before. I I adore them. I really adore them, but more specifically, Dawn. So the second one is Agreed. my favorite. Agreed. Hard agree. Yeah. But the second one is my favorite. Um because part of my, you know, if if ever you're in, you know, therapy or, you know, close your eyes and think of a happy place, I always think of, you know, a misty damp cold forest redwood forest or like you know if i got to the danny nongs i am the happiest person i've ever mm. been like for some reason there's a forest fairy in me somewhere um, <laughs> it's, a so weird, film, it's a weird thing to say out of context well, <laughs> <laughs> so this film i absolutely adore because of the setting i love the, that mm-hmm. redwood forest and so because of that i love the shot choices i love the noise the mise-en-scene i love the color you know, the colour palette of the film, they all tick boxes for me. But in terms of just the Planet of the Apes story, it's such a classic. Yes. And I think they were done really well. I think this trilogy did really well with them. They really made you side with Caesar and and his progression into a leader. And, yeah, I really loved it. 
But they also did a great job of taking their time because that first one, like, you're like, well, most people actually aren't bad. Like, yeah, Draco Malfoy's being Draco Malfoy. Of course he is. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone else seems pretty nice to him and stuff like that. And then Dawn, um, yeah, is my favorite as well. I've only seen each of them once, but I've got them. Uh, like, now, like, now that we're talking about them, I'm like, well, I've got to add them to the list this year and rewatch them. And yep. then War for the Planet of the Apes, like they did not like that is a flat out war film. Like it is oh. a war film. Like and yep. that is a hard to watch film. Like you got you got um, what's his name? Woody Harrelson shooting Woody apes Harrelson. in the head. It's like like you know, execution style. You're like, oh like this is meant to be a fun franchise. What's going mm. on? Yep. Um Woody yeah. Harrelson is absolutely unapologetic in this role. In this role, he is absolutely hell bent on his crusade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I watched last year, I watched all of the original Apes films. I'd never seen them before. I've got the box up. I'd never seen them before. Um, wow. And they're, um, they're wacky, like, but there's some fun ones in there, man. Like, there's some good ones. Like, um, I, I'm going to, like, go outside of the box again. First two, not too huge. I know, like, the Charlton Heston ones, the ones people love. Three, when the apes come to Earth, that is when I was like, yes, this is my jam. And they're like dressing them up in like clothes and taking them mm. shopping. Like that was my, that was 100% my jam. I haven't uh, seen, I think I've seen maybe one or two of the originals. Mm-hmm. The, is it 60s, 70s? 60s and 70s. I think the first one was yeah. 68, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I definitely only saw them, you know, on a Saturday morning, you know, before mm. ballet when I was in primary school and like, yeah, so I don't have full memories of them, but I just think, yeah, it's such a interesting cautionary tale. And I think the second one shows us, yeah, the balance of a new civilization rising and the old civilization falling. Like we get the second film, we get to see them almost, you know, like passing each other. Mm. Like, and I find that really interesting. And, you know, as they're passing each other, they have a moment where they could work together they have a moment and this chance and once again it, it's completely undone by past traumas by selfishness you know which and there's like, i can't remember his name but there's that really nasty ape as well like the one who's like sabotaging it. that's it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well it, it's undone by his past mistrust and his past trauma mm. and you know yeah i i really find it interesting to watch these two societies passing each other up and down the scale of evolution. It's really mm. cool. And, yeah, like in the third one, we literally watch humans de-evolve. Mm. So interesting to watch them de-evolve rather than just get sick and die. Like, yeah. Yeah. And Ooh, there's, a, there's a new one coming. Like they're working on it. And it's meant to be part of this franchise, I believe. It's the fourth one. Mm. I haven't oh. seen much about it at all. They have. I don't think they've done – I don't think – there's no trailer or anything. Like it's still a while away, but they're working on a fourth one. Um, okay. Which I'm cool with, like, I, like that that trilogy is solid to me, like, and that first one's so underrated. It's the Batman Begins of apes films, like everyone mm-hmm. talks about the second two, but that first one, like, you got that whole sequence on the Golden Gate Bridge, um, and you got John Lithgow, who's just so adorable because the you know he's the dad mm. with dementia, and that's why they're trying to make the apes smarter because they're trying to cure his dementia and stuff like that. Like, oh, yeah. and then like the film ends, and if you don't, st- if you're the kind of person who leaves them as soon as the, you you leave the theater as soon as the film goes dark. You miss the setup because the whole credits is like the virus spreading around the globe. Yeah. Um, and I love that they did it that way so that we didn't have to have a whole film about the virus spreading around the globe. Like, no, no. About it spreading, yeah. This is all you need. And now the next one, we're like, we're in it. Um, yeah. Because you, great know, choice. You, know what, you know what's going to happen. Like, yeah. And you're, yeah, you, you know what it's going to happen, but you're here for 
watching the apes and their society. You're not here mm -hmm. to watch the humans get mm -hmm. sick. And yeah, that's not what we're here for. So I, yeah, I think those choices were really good. And the big battle on the bridge was just yes. so awesome. Um, and just proof again that like Andy Circus is the only person who should be doing mocap. Um, like when they announced he was playing Caesar, I was like, oh, he's going back and doing that thing again. Um, and they're like, oh, no, I get it. And again, like not to harp on about um, the first one, it's Rise, isn't it? The first one's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Um, that film is done so earnestly that I forgot that it was a talking animal movie um, <laughs> until Caesar says no. And like I remember I was sitting at home with my mum and, and, and Tina, with, this is before Tina were married, sitting on the couch. Mm. And when he says no, I got chills. I like got Whoa. up out of my chair. I was like, oh. I was like, yes. Oh my God, I forgot this is a talking animal film. It's so earnest. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh, I have to slightly disagree about Andy Serkis is the only one that can do motion capture. And I'm trying to find it and I cannot find it. Oh, not it. the only one, but like he is the go-to. Like, Well, but the actor who played Rocket, so there's... Um, Sean Gunn. No. Doesn't Sean no, no, Gunn no, do... Sorry. Or... So, sorry. Uh, so not Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy, and oh. Sean Gunn is also excellent. Um, Rocket is one of the apes in Planet of the Apes. He's like the second in command. He's like oh, his okay. friend. And the actor who plays him actually has done so much amazing, like, coaching body movement, like, stuff for so many films. I can't find it. I'll have to send it to you later. But um, he plays Rocket. So, yeah, Planet of the Apes. I'm looking it up now. Like, cast, but I just... Oh, he was also... I, he's also in um, Avengers. He plays... Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think he's... He did, he did Groot and he was Cull Obsidian. Yeah, um, so pretty much I think basically this guy like was a like amazing gymnast and he got recruited to go to college to be a gymnast. So he started out in gymnastics, but then he slowly moved into stunt work and then like body movement coaching. And so he does so much live action, but not live action, sorry, he does so much motion capture stuff and work with other act artists and building the way characters move and stuff. And like he's got a massive repertoire of stuff. I just saw he was also Kong in, in Skull Island, which that's, isn't that's my... It. That's what I meant to tell you, because you love Kong Skull Island. I, like, I do. It's a, it's my favourite. It's it, it, uh, You know what? I ne very rarely get negative. I'll say this. It is the only monster film from that franchise that I like. like that's, the... Yeah, that's what, I was, that's what made me remember to be like, I have to tell James, because I know that you love that Kong, and this guy, like, built... He's Kong. The body language, yeah. Um. Oh, I do love that film. I think it's like it's so good, and like that's the one that people seem to hate on the most. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're talking about. Like that is a brilliant, brilliant movie. Um, it's set on an island. Islands are cool. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, look, if you're gonna do it cool. for six movies straight, I might disagree with you. But like, if it's your first film, sure. So if you back to Planet of the Apes, you definitely like Dawn, second one. Yes. Yeah. Okay, me too. Yeah. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm definitely. I would go, oh, I haven't seen, I've only seen them all once and I haven't seen Rise since it came out pretty much. So I don't know how I'd rank them. I think Dawn is my favorite. Yeah. It might go Dawn, War, Rise, but it'd be tight. And I think in rewatchability, Rise is probably going to be more fun because War is bleak. Like it is an absolute war picture. Yeah. So, but yeah, they're, like, they're all great. They're all great. Like that is a solid franchise. But yeah, again, like people talk about them, but you don't really hear people talk about put them in like in a world of like cinematic universes and like trilogies and stuff like that. It doesn't really come up much, but it is pretty flawless. Mm. 
Mm. Mm. I think it was done really well. All right, what's your number two? No, we're up to my number one because World's Good. End was my number two. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I've um, spoken about this... Jurassic Park once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this may play as controversial as well because people aren't going to think it was an apocalyptic film, but this to me is like what I think of like not just – this isn't just the world ending. This is the universe ending. And my, my number one is a cheat because it's two films, but you've done – two films and a trilogy back-to-back, so I feel more comfortable yep. about it now. Um, <laughs> and we're actually just talking about this film with that actor. Um, it's Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Um, yep. I have like, them on my list. They count. Like, they are... I've never talked about them really on the podcast before, and I've been trying to find a way to pigeonhole them in because the, I love... Like, I've watched both those films every year since they've come out. I often, I'll often do them as a double feature. I'll watch them back-to-back. Um Cinematic universe combination aside, just like you know, you I, I, that's the way I like to watch them. I will watch every single film leading up to them, that's the way I like to do it. But just the first time I watched them back to back was when Zoe was just born five hours, six hours straight. I just had it in my arms while I was watching them both. Like they are just entertaining from start to finish. There's no boring bits, like they don't like there are slow moments, there are quiet moments, but they just from they don't muck around, there's no messing around. The first film opens. All of like Thor's ships have been destroyed, and Thanos is like beating the crap out of Thor and like fighting the Hulk, and like suddenly the war is begun. Um, and like Infinity War obviously has you know that shock of an ending that no one was expecting. Like everyone thought it would end that way, but Marvel films tend not to end on a down note. So to have it end the way it does with half the universe being destroyed. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw Infinity War, like Tane and I saw it in cinemas together, but we drove the theatre in separate cars because she went straight from work. Um, it was the only time I left a movie I didn't listen to anything or say anything on the drive home. I sat in my car in silence for 20 minutes trying to figure out what I'd just watched. Because it kicked you while you were down, that ending. Like, oh, boy. And then, like... out of you. And then you're like, oh, my God, where do we... Like where do we go from here? Yeah. How do we how do we claw our way back from here? Like you've got and then like things started to come out that made it more heartbreaking. So like when Groot is dying, first of all, like Groot, <laughs> Groot, like everyone's favorite tree boy is dying. Mm. He says he he talks to Rocket, and then James Gunn came out and he goes, "Oh yeah, what he was saying was father. He was say, like reaching out to Rocket, saying father, like save me." And it's like, oh my god, <laughs> and then like obviously the most beautiful like heartbreaking moment is Tony Stark holding Peter Parker in his arms as he's dying, which is in the trailer, by the way, it is in the trailer and no one knew about it. I Um, lost it. I cried. Just when he's saying, when he's saying, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I was like, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go either. And the directors came out and said, the reason why he's one of the last ones to go is Peter Parker is so strong. He was holding on, like trying not to go. And that's why he lasts so long. And then like, you know, the power of six infinity stones just tore him to shreds. Um, it is ridiculously funny for a film that ends with half the universe being destroyed. But there's so many great character moments. Um, one of the most badass moments, of course, is when Thor lands amongst the battle with Rocket and Groot, and like the Avengers theme kicks in, and he's like, This is my friend Tree. Um, like, that's all great. Um, my favorite sequence in that entire film is. Um, on Titan. So it's with Doctor Strange and like Iron Man and the Guardians fighting Thanos and Spider-Man's like going through all the portals and like Peter Quill ruins it all. And I remember everyone got so angry that Peter Quill like ruined it all. 
And I was like, I'm sorry, you're angry at a human for reacting like a human? Like, there are definitely bigger atrocities in movies than this. Um, yeah, I love but- that moment because I'm like, that is so his character. And, like, he just lost his, you know, the love of his life. Oh, so, like, so much. And then the whole Doctor Strange sequence where he's, like, he duplicates himself and, like, he creates the mirror dimension and, like, he uses all the whips and, oh, mm. it's just fantastic. Um, and I really, I really loved, yeah, in the um, the last one, um, when, like, Ant-Man is just, like, come, he comes out of the quantum realm out of his truck and he's like, what the fuck's going on? Like, yeah. he's, such, he's such great comedic relief. Well, that one, that that movie is heartbreaking and that moment's heartbreaking because he comes back and finds his daughter five years older. Like, yeah, but and she's that, not gone. Yeah, but she's not gone. But She's yes. not gone, but he's lost five years. Years. And, I remember the first time I watched that, I was like, that is really heartbreaking. I watched it as a parent. I was like, oh, my God. Mm. Um, and I remember when the trailers for the new Ant-Man came out, and I really liked the new Ant-Man film. I know that it was divisive. I really liked it. When I went to that film, all I wanted was a story about him and his daughter, and that's exactly what I got. That's why I was happy because I was like, he lost five years, and the, the whole point of this film is him not wanting to lose any more time with her and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but then the second one, is it's very bleak to be with. It's very like sad and dark. It opens obviously with them cutting off Thanos's head, which is really fun. Um, mm-hmm. But then you know you go into like you see New York and all the ships are just like r- like just dredged up on the harbor because there's no people to, to deal with it. And you've got Captain America running like survivors meetings, like people are talking mm-hmm. about like what happened after the decimation. Like that's what they call it. Like, we call it the snap, but it was called the decimation. Like. Um, you, it opens with Hawkeye losing his entire family. Like, it's so mm. dark. And then, you know, you get these new character moments of, like, Rocket, like, being friends with not just Nebula, but also, like, Captain Marvel and, like... Kind of, and Thor. And <laughs> Thor interacting with them. Like, you get Fat Thor, which the first time I saw it, I was like, that's very strange, but it's really fun, like, seeing him. Mm. Like... Like it's like yeah, he got depressed. Like yep, yep. that makes sense. And he sense. let himself go. Like how much does a demigod have to let themselves go to let himself go? Like, and you yep. think about like how much he's lost. And like this, an Endgame makes other films better. Like I've always liked Thor: The Dark World. It's a film that most people have written off, but I actually found like I've always enjoyed him to go back and like spend time with his mother and so like mm. it makes the movie better. <laughs> like, it, mm. um, and then like the final hour to me, is pitch perfect. Like, mm. everything in that film is great. But, like, from the minute those, you know, you hear Sam Wilson say, on your left, which is a lovely callback to Winter Soldier, and the mm. portals all open, everyone comes back. Like, that to me is, like, every shot is, like, an explosion of comic book goodness. Like, mm. I remember after that film came out, I said, my favourite moment in that film, I think, is when Spider-Man is holding the Infinity Gauntlet, swinging from a Pegasus ridden by Valkyrie, she takes down a giant space worm. And I said, I can't believe I said that sent that that sentence exists. Mm. Like, I, like, I'm not even kidding, and this is going to sound so lame, but it speaks so true to me. When that happened, I cried. And it wasn't because <laughs> I was sad. I was like, I can't believe so many amazing things are happening at once in this film. <laughs> this is actually happening. Yeah. Like, I can't, like, it was too awesome for my mind to contain. It was just like, this is so brilliant. Um, I really, really enjoyed um, the, the connections and the lack of, clear real chemistry between the characters like there wasn't like I mean you can choose someone who's perfect for the role but if they don't fit next to the person who's playing another role there's this slightly 
like suspending, like there's a bit of jarringness, this little, you know, disbelief thing that creeps in. But every character you watch, yeah, you watch each of them talk and interact with each other. And so well done. There's clearly this realistic chemistry. Like they're perfect for their characters, but they're also perfect for interacting with the other characters. Like this collection of all these incredible characters and actors really is a it's a really rare collection and I I think that's what I always like story aside or visual effects aside I'm always really appreciative and impressed with like that as well I love watching them speak to each other or be in the same scenes with each other and having so many different films and having them in those last two films together and Mm -hmm. watching them together and it worked like that was just gorgeous I think it's my favorite Robert Downey Jr. performance as Iron Man. And I like every – uh, there's no bad Iron Man performance to me. But in Endgame, I think he just elevates it so much, like him becoming mature and becoming a father and then having to, like, figure things out. And then there's that beautiful moment of him having his first on-screen moment with Chris Evans since Civil War, which happened, like, three years earlier or something like that. Like, them kind of, like, burying the hatchet so they can work together. Like, that's really great. Um the moment where they're talking about time travel and all their examples are just movies. So like they're talking about back to the future uh, and Don Cheadle, like Don Cheadle is so wonderful. We get so few moments in these films. I'm really glad he's got a couple of things coming up because he's so great, but where he's just like, why don't we go back in time to see baby Thanos and just, and like pretend to <laughs> the action with his hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, um, what's, the, what's the quote of hey 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 hey, hey, hey was it um uh, hey mr stark how can i help you oh we're trying to steal a necklace from a wizard yeah <laughs> or hey, like, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry earth is closed today like oh like just everyone like the one the i think the one regret i have um, with obviously Tony Stark, you know, uh, spoilers, dying at the end of that film, which is also heartbreaking, um, is that we don't get enough of him with Doctor Strange because the few moments that they have together in that first film are some of the, like, best interactions of any character in that franchise. Like, so every time they're together, like, that whole argument, like, on the on the ship and stuff like that, um, so wonderful. There's such uh, utter disdain for each other. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes sense. They're so very, they're both very similar characters. Um, mm. But like, and there's just yeah, so many wonderful the, ego, the egotistical genius. That's it. Room for two. That's mm. it. And I'm hoping we get that from Reed Richards. Now that we're getting Mr. Fantastic, I hope we get another you know egotistical genius coming through. And um, I love um, Thor, like Thor um, and Rocket. Like, thank you. Was it clever rabbit or whatever? Sweet right? rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Rabbit. Oh, like. <laughs> Lovely. He's the smartest one. He's clearly the captain. Like, I love all yeah. that. Um, but there's just little things like when Tony Stark does die, like, you know, after the snap, that, like, I was listening to this interview with the direct, the writers, sorry, the writers, mm-hmm. and they're like, we gave him no dialogue because his arc has come to an end and Tony Stark no longer has anything he needs to say. Everything he's needed to say has been said. Um, after he said, I am Iron Man, like, that is the that is the full stop on his story. So, like, he can sit there and be quiet as he dies because he no longer needs to say anything else. And this is a guy who always had an answer for everything. I'm like, just little things like that, just cleverly thought out. Um, mm. But also, like, he's done his fatherly duty and now, like, like he's, like, children figures or whatever, his sheep of his shepherd. Mm. Like, he's done his job. He's raised them. He doesn't need to give them any more advice. 
He doesn't that need is. to give them any more direction. Like they're they're now ready. He's stepping back. They're going forward. Yeah. And that film, like the whole point of that film happens. The whole reason Tony Stark gets involved is because now that he's a father, he wants to rescue the son that he never had, which was Peter Parker. Like mm. that was the that was his biggest failure was not saving Peter Parker. Um, it this like again, this is a movie where people in robot suits fight worms. Like it doesn't, it's so silly when you break it down and there's so much heart and it's so earnest um, and so wonderfully executed and fun, even though it's dark and apocalyptic and horrifying, like it's so fun. Um, I mentioned before that I cried at the end of Steel Magnolias, you know, in the moment with the like punch Issa. My hands down, my favorite moment in this film, the film, the moment that always makes me cry, hands down is after the funeral um, Happy Hogan sits down next to Morgan Stark and says, um, can I get you anything? And she goes, a cheeseburger. And he goes, mm. your dad loved cheeseburgers. I'll get you all the che- – I'm getting sad. I'm getting welling up right now. I'll get you all the cheeseburgers you want. And, mm. like, he says it because he's like, your father is gone. He was my best friend. He's dead. And I cannot bring him back. But what I can do to make you happy right now is get you a cheeseburger and I'll get you all the cheeseburgers you want. And, like, it's just the 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 idea of, like, this is all I can do. I'm not a this superhero. This is a like warm if, hug. Yeah, this is like, a warm hug I can give you. Yeah, we are surrounded by the most powerful beings in the universe. We're surrounded by all these people who wear capes and suits, and they're superheroes. And I'm just the guy who drives the car, but I can get you a cheeseburger. Please mm. let me get you a cheeseburger. And it's so beautiful and heartbreaking, and, and a big warm hug, as you said. It's my favorite moment in that movie, which is like people are like really like that's your favorite moment. What about like all the fighting? Yes, I love the fighting, but just that simple, earnest moment is just beautiful to me and then if that weren't enough cap gets to dance with peggy at the end like he gets to like oh like it's just those two films for me are are the pinnacle of those movies like and i'm not one of those people who's like it all went downhill after you know after endgame no marvel has made some wonderful films since then like and I haven't disliked any of the movies they've made since then. And of course they're going to be different because you had Endgame. Look at Infinity War and Endgame. Of course they're not going to live up to that. But that doesn't mean they're not good. They're just not going to be the same. Um, I just think they're fantastic. I just there's not a moment in those films I would change. And I haven't even covered ten percent of those movies. Like to really go over that, we'd have to do a whole episode per movie, and that <laughs> still wouldn't be enough. But I just think they're I just think they're wonderful. And like again, like they could have easily been silly and cheesy and not worked at all, but somehow they made it work not once but twice. Um, and we didn't even talk about Josh Brolin as Thanos, who's excellent. Mm. Like, what a relatable villain. Like, what a vil- what a great villain with a great cause. Like, I love villains just for the sake of being villains, but, like, to give him a cause where you're like, look, I disagree with his methods, but I do understand, like, he's, you know, I understand the reasons why he is the way he is. Yeah, his reasons uh, aren't his, aren't exactly insane. It's the actions that are kind of insane. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, like maybe, you know, everyone was like, why not double the resources instead of remove half the population? But even still, um, yeah, they're um, they're so good. So my number one is Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. I just think they're excellent. And well um, I'm sure the internet will be mad at me for that, and that's totally fine. So, like, what about Armageddon? <laughs> oh, uh, Armageddon not, out of here. It's on my list. It's in there, but it's not. It's not on the ones I want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I was almost going to put Zack Snyder's Justice League on my list, but I because that has a very big apocalyptic sequence as well. But um, I like that film for reasons not 
not apocalyptically driven. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, can I rattle off some of my honourable mentions? Of before course I you can. One? Um, so I highly suggest that you go and watch um, Russell Crowe's Noah. Oh, I really about, want to watch that. Yeah. Talking about original apocalypse, like. I love Noah. Aronofsky. That guy can do no wrong for me. Like every t- everything he makes is is incredible. I love Mother as well. Um, yep. And the whale is beautiful. Um, so. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a good one to watch. Um, it's cinematography is beautiful. So it's very very. It's got beautiful sort of settings. Um, I don't know where the locations were that they filmed, but the locations are really cool. Like maybe the CGI isn't amazing anymore, but yeah, like they, he captures the gravitas of the situation and like the inner turmoil that's going on with these choices that Noah is having to, like the burdens he's having to hold. Um, the casting's really beautiful. Um, Emma Watson. It's got um, uh, I forgot her name. Jennifer Connelly. Um, oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah. Um, it's got it, anyway, it's got really good cast, really beautiful settings um, and locations, and it's um, a lot darker. It's a it's a really dark story. So if you think about the contrast between, um, you know, all the Noah's Ark stories we're told in Sunday school, or you know, in what is it, Disney's uh, Fantasia with Donald mm-hmm. Duck, like it's lighthearted, it's happy. This is it's dark. It's really really yeah, it's dark and gritty and cold. It feels really cold Ooh, um, like in terms that. of the lighting and the color palette and the textures and um, and the, it's just this this really weighted burden. Um, and there's really yeah, another really sad scene that you'll cry about as a parent. Like it'll just hurt. It'll hurt to watch. I, as a parent. I very rarely cry in real life, so if I want to cry, mm-hmm. I go to the movies. So I'm down. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this one I know, and you'll you, as soon as you watch it, you'll know, and you'll text me, and you'll be like, "Yep, that got me, made me really upset." You, you um, know, I'll cry. I there know you'll cry. <laughs> terrible, terrible jokes. We've been going for two so, hours, so I'm allowed to make bad jokes at this time. That's all right. Um, so that's an honourable mention that I think everyone should watch. Another honourable mention is "I Am Mother," which is recent, um, and that's Ooh, very clever. One? "I Am Mother." Um, I've heard of it. About, um, a robot raising a baby into a woman. Okay. Cool. Um, and it's very interesting, very layered, um, full of ethics. And then, um, before, if you do want to watch it, before you do watch it, um, text me, cause I will text you some questions that I want to know how you think about things. Cause there's, um, foreshadowing and there's setups that are very okay. easy to miss. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, questionable questionable things on the human side and the robot side and um it's very very interesting um i would sort of make it seem sort of similar and like ex machina how it makes you really think oh i love that movie like it makes you think about the role of people and the role of ai um and uh, you know how in you know the ai can set up the humans to fail or to succeed and mm-hmm. yeah if you like it, it's obviously a compl- it's a very different film, but you might. Yeah, no, I'm down. Brain, I'm digging the brain it. Brain work in terms of the brain work and the pouring through the ethics and the, you know, understandings, the social understandings, etc. Um, I am mother is quite good. I'm um, down. Hilary Swank's in it, and I think great. Rose Byrne is the voice. Oh, of love Rose the robot. Byrne. I think she's the voice of the robot. Great. Um, yep. Um, my other honourable mention was Rim of the World. You have to watch that with the four kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and my other 
honorable mentions are two Tom Cruise films, Edge of Tomorrow and War of the Worlds. I love Edge of Tomorrow. Me it's too. It's so good. I put it off for so long because I, I've only become a – I mean, I watched it probably about 10 years ago now. Not quite because the film's only about 10 years old, but I watched it – it was a few years after the film came out and I only recently have become a Tom Cruise fan for the longest time. I really wasn't a big Tom Cruise guy. <gasps> except Me too. Except for Collateral. Collateral was my exception. Um, yeah. But recently, and I think it has a lot to do with Top Gun Maverick, I was just blown away by that movie. Um, mm. But um, it, it, Edge of Tomorrow is so good. I could it's not believe how great it was. Fun. It's fun. Yes. It's Groundhog Day, but it's apocalypse and fun. And there's, yeah, just really great montages and clever, clever threads through the film. Like, yeah. it's, just, it's just a fun ride and definitely watch it with other people. Don't watch it by yeah. yourself. Like I did watch it by myself and I had a great time. But, yeah, well, like. Yeah, have a great time. But, like. But that's, but that's, yeah. that's how I live. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, well, do, do as we say, not as I do. <laughs> like, go and watch it with a bunch of people. Like, world, you know, I would say World's End. Like, watch that with other people too. Like, yeah. that's fun to watch with people. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, War of the Worlds I haven't seen since theatres. Um, so, I saw it, yeah, like 20 years ago now. Uh, when it came mm. out in the I think it was 2004, so just, just shy of 20 years ago. And I didn't know the story of War of the Worlds. So when the ending happened, I was ah. like, oh. I was like, and I, I was in the height of my snobbery as well. So I was like, oh, that's dumb. But like now I really appreciate it and I want to go back and watch it again. So I remember mm. the action being very cool. Um, it is. The action's really good. The relationships between like watching Tom Cruise finally show up instead of being a self-absorbed deadbeat dad, watching mm. him step up. Um and his role as a father, manip- like change and stuff, is really, really well done. And yeah, the the immediacy of all the dangers of having to get through all these dangers, like really cool. Um, when I was in America, I went to the set where the plane crash is. Um, so did I at Universal yeah. Studios. Yeah, Universal yep. Studios. Yeah, yep. and I just love that they were like, well, it was way cheaper to just buy an old plane and rip it to shreds. Way cheaper. We went around. on that tour, I want to say, two days before we had to fly home and uh, was not thrilled that there was a crash plane on that tour two days <laughs> before we had to fly home. Oh, Maybe God. for the day before because that was the day I proposed to Tina because I proposed to her outside of uh, Hogwarts Castle at Universal Studios. So. Yep. Um, yeah. So those are my, my honourable mentions. My did, she send you a photo, did she send you a photo of your, of your hair? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she's, she's just got home, so I haven't seen her hair yet, but I know she's home. So It's beautiful. She looks For great. those listening and be like, what are you talking about? Tina went and got her hair done today. So um, Yeah, and she's texting me while she's at the hairdressers, and she will now come home to her actual husband. <laughs> I got one text message, but I'm, I'm a professional, so I didn't respond. <laughs> I was like, whatever, we're recording, bro. Um, I'll see you here when I'm done. Uh, um, my number one film. I'm very excited. I've watched, I've watched many, many times. I watched Jurassic Park. <laughs> well, that you know, goes without saying. But no, I've watched this film when it first came out a lot and really appreciated it and loved it. And then it was just in my comforting, happy films for a little bit. And then I had a child and Heike just. I know it. what you're going to say. And I know so what it is. It's on all the time and I adore that in the first half of the film there's no real dialogue, there's no real stupid noise, like like hustle and bustle, it's quiet. I just I just think for a kid's film to drive the first half of that film and kids to love it and there's not really any talking or anything, is it just shows how brilliant Pixar is. It is Wally. This is not what I thought you were going to say. 
I. But that is great. I thought you were going to say the Iron Giant. Oh, that's not an apocalypse. No, but like I was like, well, we're being pretty loose with it. I know she watches the Iron Giant all the time. I'm so glad I knew. Yeah. Like, and it's the best Vin Diesel performance of all time. And you'd be like, what? We watch, we watch the Iron Giant almost every second day. But yeah. for a long time before I introduced her to Iron Giant, it was Wally. Yeah, Wally is great. It is gorgeous, and I just think it's a testament to Pixar's ability to get physicality into its characters to make children just love them. Like my, my daughter just adores the film and there's like, there's no talking at the beginning. There's like sound obviously, but Mm. there's, it's physical and like imagine being in like a different country in a different language doesn't matter for that first Mm -hmm. half. Like it's, it's so connecting to just so many people and children and cultures and visually it's beautiful and it's a cautionary tale, but it's hopeful and it doesn't shove it down your throat and scare you or scare your children about what could happen. And the connection between Wally and how he loves Eva and, you know, he's kind of like the, the PC and Eva's kind of like a Mac. And, like, mm. I I just I think it's beautiful. I just think it's fun. It's simple. It's sweet. Um, I was surprised. Yeah. And I don't know why I was surprised. Um because I didn't watch it when it first came out. Because when it first came out, I was like, that looks depressing. I was like, I don't know how they're going to make this swing. And when I finally watched it, I realized how funny it was. I was like, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because it's Pixar and they make funny films. But it is very sweet. Um, I immediately related to all the humans who sit in couches and have cupcakes in, in <laughs> straws. I thought that was great. I was like, fast forward me to that right now. Um, I've only seen it the once though, and I watched. I think I watched it the year that I watched 380 films in in 365 days. I think it was one of the illustrious 380. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I thought it was great. It's um, you know, again, Pixar can do no wrong. I, I can think of almost no Pixar films that I dislike. There may be one or two that don't really work for me, but strong catalog. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have much to say about Wallace. I've only seen it the once. I don't remember it all that well. Oh, so. good. I just don't know how it's possible. It's oh, it's gorgeous. We are working through our Disney and Pixar films. I've shown Zoe because she was obviously obsessed with Frozen, like mm. for a while. But she's seen. Uh, I've shown her Tangled and I've shown her Brave, um, mm-hmm. which she really liked. Um, and so now I go around and ask her if she's a princess pretending to be a bear. I go, Are "You more do?" And she goes, "No, not more do." Um, we watched uh, Big Hero 6 recently, which she really liked as well because um, she likes ba-la-la-la-la. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else have I shown her? I've shown her a couple of films. We watched Toy Story, the first one. Um, she loves Toy Story. Her, so I don't know if this says anything about my family and my job. Her favourite character is Zerg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I love in the second one. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Yippee. Thanks, <laughs> Dad. Yep. Yeah, Heidi um, loves Zerg the best. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's great. Um, so she's seen a couple. Um, she's seen a Bug's Life. She really liked a Bug's Life, and mm, I think Heidi she watched Incredible. I think she watched Incredibles with my mum the other day as well. So, yeah. um, so she's working her way through the catalog. So we'll get to Wally, um, and then I'll be able to have more <laughs> next time I talk to you. But like, I rewatched it. It's still great, and I remember yep. things about it. It is. It is still good. Yeah, and it's definitely one of the more happier, positive. Definitely an apocalypse has happened, but it's okay. We can fix it. We can put it back. I think we both end on some nice positive choices. You know, your your like yours is a, a an apocalypse film filled with hope, and mine's an apocalypse film where the apocalypse got reversed. I think you know, for a potentially very bleak topic, we uh we navigated the waters quite well. Hmm. 
Those yeah, are pretty... and now we've both got some good ones for our watch lists. Oh, I am so excited to rewatch the Apes films. Um, although I'll be honest, now I want to watch Avengers again. Um, Please watch Moonfall and Rim yes. of the World as well. They have yeah, to be I'll, on your list. I'll write them down so I don't forget. I'll put them on my to-watch list because I have a separate list for that. So Moonfall mm-hmm. and Rim of the World. Oh, actually, I'll put it on a different list. This is riveting for the listeners, I'm sure, as I do admin while I'm wrapping up the show. <laughs> but, like, my favourite part of this episode was when you did admin for 20 minutes. Um, I still haven't watched the outfit either, which you recommended. Mm. Of the world. And what was, the other, uh, what was the other one again? So I've got Finch Moonfall. for you on a USB. But, yeah, Finch, Moonfall, Rim of the World. Yeah. I'll never get through all these films, but that's Okay. Uh, Maddie Schultz, that is a fantastic list. I'm so glad that you kicked down the doors for the apocalypse. I think this is this is the best way to start. Before mm. we wrap up, as always, there is a rapid fire. This is the apocalypse rapid fire round. <laughs> um, and I I might answer some questions as well. I'm not sure. I haven't even thought. Of, I haven't looked at the questions I wrote them like a month ago. So Maddie, to begin with, which apocalypse would you most like to be stuck in? Of all the film apocalypses, which is the one that you want to be stuck in? Uh, well, my immediate is I want to be in the redwood forest with the apes. I want to go be one of the humans that hang out with them. That's pretty so good. hopefully I'm hopefully I'm immune. So like first off, I have to be immune, and then if I get to hang out in the redwood forest, even if I end up losing my voice and becoming a bit simple, they'll look after me. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting to enjoy that as much as I did. Maurice, Maurice the orangutan will teach me sign language. <laughs> It'll be cool. I didn't think about it, but now that you've talked, I think the Wally one is for me. Like I can just watch movies and eat cupcakes all day. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, if society still runs and society still goes through its normal patterns, and yeah, yeah. no, Planet of the Apes is the simple life. Um, or maybe, maybe World's End. World's End wasn't too bad. No one, like, yeah. no one really got killed. Um, and then they kind of lived in harmony, kind of towards the end. So maybe I would have gone World's End. Um, alrighty. You're stuck in the apocalypse. Which hero from the apocalypse films do you want to be teamed up with? Who's keeping you safe in the apocalypse? Oh, that's a good one. Okay, I'm, like, looking through my list of films to try and remember, like, who's who really knows how to survive stuff? It has to be someone who's, like, Finch has got a brain on him in terms of, like, tech and, like, keeping you safe with your hazmat suits and keeping them running from radioactive fallout and stuff finch is pretty on it but i'm trying to think of like who's sort of oh man ah oh, this is really tricky um oh man like if society's like awful and there's like horrible people around and like i need someone to protect me and keep me safe like Bruce Willis from Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It seems like. Or The Rock from San Andreas. <laughs> I've seen San Andreas, but I've got to check it out. Um, oh, gosh. Who would really, really look after me and know what they're doing? I don't want to go for someone who's got lots of guns, though. No. no. My initial thought was Neo, but actually most of Neo's pals died, so I don't think Neo's the guy to be around. Yeah. Um. John Kranzinski from A Quiet Place. Maybe then I just get to hang out with him all day. Yeah, well, I mean, it didn't work out too well for him, but everyone else made it, made it all right. 
Mm, um, he still got to show up in the sequel, though. He managed to write himself a little prequel moment in the sequel so he could stick around. Yeah, that's a really that is a really hard one because like all the characters, they don't start out as amazing. They learn how to be amazing, or like they learn how to look after themselves. Um, yeah, like not even what? Furiosa. Go... Like Furiosa and Mad Max, she loses pretty much all the girls, so like she's not a great. Well, true. She starts off with one arm. Um, I, you know what? I'm going to go with Finch because Finch comes with the robot. Mm. So he's clever, but he's also built the robot so that when he cocks it, I've still got the robot. I've still That's got Jeff. Good. That's pretty yeah. good. I don't know. Mm. That's a like, tricky one. Like Gary King in World's End managed to, he had like an army of robot cowboys at the end and he seemed mm. to do all right, but he didn't do so great with his friends up until that point. Mm. Mm. I don't know who I would choose. Like even the Avengers lose people. Yeah. I'm I don't know. Think. Well, like, what about Vision, at least? Like, Oh, no, I want... Ooh, like the Scarlet Witch. Like, yeah. once she's... She's one of them. She is, yeah, I think the Scarlet Witch. Plus, you know, mm. hanging out with Elizabeth Olsen ain't the worst thing in the world. She's, you know, she's kind of cute. It's so, cool, yeah. and I'm only saying that because the apocalypse and my wife may have died. It's like, obviously, if my wife's... <laughs> that's oh, I like. always imagine if there is an apocalypse, my husband and daughter don't exist. Like, I never got married or like they don't exist because then they can't be in any pain and no we go. yeah in apocalypse they don't exist yeah all righty um all these post-apocalyptic films tend to have some pretty cool vehicles how are you getting around at the end of the world on foot on quiet foot? i'm not making i'm not making a big splash like i'm not flying around in like a helicopter like in rain of fire I'm not in Still a haven't giant... seen Rain of Fire, but it is getting delivered next week, I believe. So yeah. I will soon watch. Yes. Could you not ride a dragon? Like, in... I don't know if they ride dragons in Rain of Fire, but like, wouldn't that be the? <laughs> no. no, the dragon, the dragons. You, you can't get near those dragons. No, okay. they're not. They're not. They're not Daenerys dragons. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, good to no, know. I'm not about to get in. I'm not about to get in a big, fussy, loud car because I'm going to run out of petrol. Mm. Like. You know, I mean, at least if it's if it's Waterworld, then yeah, I'm getting on a boat. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be an idiot. Um, but no, nah, I'm I'm backpack, quiet, under the radar, on foot. Yeah, inconspicuous. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna not gonna do a vehicle. If you had to twist my arm to do a vehicle. A push bike. I don't know. Shopping trolley. I don't know. Shopping trolley. No, because if the apocalypse is the way, goes the way of the world, that that trolley's got only three good wheels, uh, and that last one is making a noise. So. Yeah, it's steering you in the wrong direction. I always think of the apocalypse as being very sandy as well, so I don't know how good a trolley would be in the uh, sand. You've got a dry apocalypse. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, then nah, I'm on foot. Yeah. I um yeah I was gonna think of a cool vehicle like I did like the interceptor from the first Mad Max but your your argument is making me think maybe I should avoid I should avoid all vehicles as well maybe horse maybe going by I mean I've never ridden a horse in my life but going by horse like Caesar did that might be kind of a cool way to get around yeah it's the closest I'm gonna ever get to living a Lord of the Rings style life so um, in my fiction in my fictional in apocalypse a, so I'll say there's a hot air balloon in I O last year but interesting hot air balloon. Me. <laughs> um, and then the last the last question, and I don't know why I wrote this question, but it's on the list. So we're going to do it. Who plays the soundtrack to your apocalypse? What does your apocalypse mm-hmm. sound like? Is it overdriven guitars and heavy metal like Mad Max? Is it symphonic? Is it a quiet, you no know, silent apocalypse? 
it's a soundscape of wet, <laughs> like dewy, raindroppy, water on leaves, um, slight little insects or birds, um, cavernous echoing of a forest scape. Yeah, so I don't know a particular name, but I would just say it's a it's a it's more a soundscape than a soundtrack. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you and I have very different ideas of the apocalypse. Yours sounds very nice. <laughs> mm, yeah, mine's not a dry, like yeah, yeah desolate place. Mine is that mine is you know nature hasn't killed us. It's been ourselves, and we haven't really damaged <laughs> nature too much. So, yeah, mine's nature's okay. So, yeah, a natural soundtrack. I think it'll be no surprise to the listeners if they've looked at any of my stories on Instagram ever. It's going to be very much overdriven guitars and solos and big drums and big war drums and things like that. (laughs) Um, I just remembered another detail about Avengers Endgame before we go (laughs) because you're talking about it. Um, Another great moment of that movie is obviously it's because when the snap happens, it's all life. It's not just people. Like animals get snapped as well. And the first thing you hear when the snap is reversed is birds. It's the and birds in the trees. I yes. love that bit. That was a wonderful little detail. Um, Maddie Schultz, you've been a fantastic guest. As always, every time you're on, it's a blast and we always have a lot of fun. This is maybe the most focused we've been on an episode. Um, I <laughs> yeah, think we have been very silly. Oh, well. <laughs> the 80s one, I think, is pinnacle silliness for us. Um, I think so, too. But um, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and having you back and talking about your. I think because it's your favorite genre of film, I think that's why we're more focused. Because you're like, no, 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 I got to talk about people dying. I got to talk about the end of the world. This is very serious business. Um, But no, very much appreciate you coming back and can't wait to have you on again in the future. And we have, I can without giving too much away, I've been talking about premium content a little bit. We are getting very close to recording some pilots, and uh, Maddie proposed the idea for a show a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to record that in August, um, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> it's going to get very – it's like if you like Silly Maddie, oh, my God, it's going to be so silly. Oh, yes. If you really love listening to our ridiculous tangents and our giggly antics, this pilot is for you. <laughs> I mean, it may – look, it could verge on the side of unlistenable, but I have high hopes. <laughs> it's going to be the podcast apocalypse. <laughs> like, it's a show that <laughs> – uh, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, do a couple of quick plugs before we go. If you're not following on Instagram already, jump onto Instagram. I was a teenage film snob. Underscores between every single word. Um, give us a like. You know, in, engage with the posts. I, I respond to pretty much everyone who comments or, or messages me. So definitely jump on there. If you want to support the show, you can buy a T-shirt. Uh, if you head to T Public, you can search for I was a teenage film snob or click any of the links on my page. I'm wearing it right now. I wear it every time I record and in almost every promo I do. Um, and I think you can get 35% off at the moment, maybe 20%. There's, there's a discount if you sign up for the first time. So go get an I Was a Teenage Film Club t-shirt or hoodie or sticker. Um, and that's going to pretty much do it. So uh, thank you again to Maddie, who's been a wonderful guest. She'll be back again very, very soon. But until next time, as I say every single week, guys, I was a teenage film snob, but I'm trying to be better. We'll see you next week. <laughs>